0: Here's one thing before we get to the stories, and that's if you have any creepy encounters of your own or any scary experiences that you want to share and possibly be featured on the show, you can submit those to Derek Weber submissions at gmail.com. The link for that is in the description as well. The third story in this video was actually submitted by a subscriber, and it's definitely creepy. I can't wait for you to hear it. All right, so check this out. My daughter was about eight or nine at the time. We'll call her D for daughter. My mom loved taking her to this local amusement park where we live and it had rides, rock climbing walls, etc. On this particular day, D was climbing all of the walls. She would hit the bell on the first try at the top, climb down and then go to a more difficult section of the wall. That's when my mom noticed them. A couple in their 30s or 40s, whispering to each other and looking at D. So, my mom told D they were going somewhere different and moved to another section of the park. Not more than five minutes later, there they were again, staring at D and whispering to each other. They left again, only to see the couple again getting closer to D. At that point, my mom was becoming paranoid and decided to leave that's when the couple approached my mom and my daughter they were trying to talk to d and luckily my mom has an instinct with creepy people and snagged d and put her behind her and this is what she told that couple she said what business do you have talking to an eight-year-old you weird-ass perverts you didn't think that i had seen you following us all around the park Staring at my granddaughter and whispering to each other, I'm calling the police. At that point, they left in an absolute hurry. They didn't even give an explanation. Thank you, Mom. Who knows what their intentions were, but I'm glad that we never got to find out, and I'm glad to have such an observant Mom in this situation. And yes, she did report it and give descriptions of the people just in case any kids went missing. I, a 28-year-old female, was in my first year as a physical therapist at a large hospital chain. Though I was inside of the hospital, I worked in a small outpatient clinic where patients came to me for appointments and then left. As the newest therapist, I was given the late shift from 9 to 7.30 that catered to those who needed therapy and had to work during the day. We were usually pretty slow in the evening since most of our patients were retired seniors, so I was alone after five. Like any normal day, I had a new evaluation come in for some shoulder pain. Pretty run of the mill stuff. He was middle aged, good looking, well educated, and very polite. I did the eval and decided to see him twice a week for six weeks. I tried to assign him to my assistant, but he refused to be treated by him, stating he would only work with me. That was fine. He wanted later treatment times anyways, and my assistant went home before I did. Our first few weeks of treatments go by. He's so kind, he's very charismatic, and I started to look forward to treating him as we shared a lot of the same interests. He even started waiting for me to lock up and walked me out to my car in the parking garage with me. I hated the parking garage, especially when it was dark, so I actually appreciated him walking out with me. At some point in our treatments though, I noticed a shift in him. Our light small talk started to turn more flirty, well from him anyways. I was happily married and not flirting back. but. As any woman knows, some men can confuse niceness with flirtation. He started making advances and asking me out to drinks after therapy. I politely declined and tried to circle back to talking about his therapy. He seemed agitated and started to become less and less compliant with the exercises. He stopped talking as much as well. I could tell the mood had shifted. This day, I decided it would be best not to have him walk with me to my car. I didn't tell him this at first, so he went out of the clinic and waited by the elevator for me to lock up, like he normally does. I wasn't sure what to do, and I couldn't call my partner as they were out of town on business. So I opened the door from the clinic to the hall where he was, and I told him that I had paperwork to catch up on, and then I'd see him at his next appointment. He looked at me with such anger in his eyes and started walking faster and faster back to the door where I was. Luckily, I was able to close the door and flip the lock before he made it to the door. He pushed the handle, trying to get back in, and realizing that it was locked, he stepped back. Of course, this door is essentially a giant window, and he could see me on the other side, freaking out, but trying my best to conceal it. He told me to let him inside and that he would wait for me while i finished my notes i said thank you but i had a lot to do he insisted and i declined again he pushed once again on the door and when it didn't open quickly he turned around angrily and went back to the elevator i was shaking and terrified that he would come back so i went to the private offices and locked that door as well I grabbed a large dowel rod that wouldn't do much to him, but sure did make me feel a lot better to have. At this point, I knew I couldn't leave because he knows where I park and what I drive, and he could be waiting for me. I called security for the hospital, and luckily, one of the guards was doing his rounds close by, and he said that he would walk me to my car. We head out to my car, and I see my patient parked a few spots down from me inside his car. When he sees me and the guard he backs out and pulls away i thank the guard and then i get in my car i drive a few loops before going home to make sure i wasn't being followed and luckily i don't think i was the next day i go to my boss and i tell her what happened she accuses me of being paranoid and says that i need to continue to treat him i ask her about having another therapist stay late with me and she says she'll ask a few people but not to get my hopes up as nobody likes working the late shift. I work my normal day dreading the next day knowing that that's when I'm scheduled to see him again. That evening I call my brother and ask him to come to the clinic when this patient was supposed to be here and just wait in the waiting room. Thankfully he agrees. The next day it's time for this patient to come in and nobody is there. This patient was always early to his appointments, so I was very surprised. 15 minutes turns to 30, and he's still not there. I decided that I had waited long enough, so I locked up and I left with my brother. The weekend comes and goes, and by Monday, I'm back at work. I had no messages from this patient about the no-show and had no plans to reach out to him despite that being the protocol. Lunchtime rolls around and I decide to go to the hospital cafeteria to eat. There are TVs scattered all around and I sit in front of one playing the local news. I occasionally look up at it from my phone and eventually I see a familiar face. It's my patient. He was in handcuffs being walked out of his house. The sound wasn't on but I read on the ticker that he was being arrested under suspicion of multiple murders. My jaw dropped to the floor. Now, the TV had my full attention as three pictures of young, white, blonde women popped up on the screen as his alleged victims. Young, blonde, white women looking very similar to myself. It took me a while to fully grasp what I had just seen. I went to my manager and told her what I saw. Apparently not believing me, she searched his name on Google And sure enough, there were multiple articles and news clips talking about his arrest. She apologized to me for not listening when I expressed my concerns and told me that I could leave early if I needed to. I stayed for the rest of my shift, but I told her I wouldn't work late anymore by myself. By next shift, I had one of the therapy aides assigned to stay with me until we closed after a few months i ended up transferring to a different part of the hospital that had better hours but i can't help but wonder what would have happened had i gone to get drinks with him or if i had continued walking to my car with him i mean i was only going to see him for a couple more weeks so what was his plan was i his next target he's still awaiting trial last time i checked and hopefully will be convicted and locked up far far away from anyone else.
1: Tis the season for Chicken Fingers at raisin Cane's. Warm up with hand-battered, cooked-to-order chicken fingers, crispy, crinkle-cut fries, garlicky buttered Texas toast, and the real source of holiday magic, cane sauce. And while you're treating yourself, don't forget to treat everyone on your list to Cane's gift cards and New York City-inspired plush puppies that benefit pet organizations. Happy holidays from Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers. One love.
0: Hey, it's me. If you are a fan of these scary stories or my channel and you haven't subscribed yet, I'd like to take a moment to ask you to consider doing that now. I would greatly appreciate you. Here's more stories. For context, I live with my parents and two of my siblings, an older brother and an older sister. It was around 1am during October and it was raining. I was sitting in the living room with my sister just watching a movie. My sister turns to me and asks if I could grab some ice cream from the fridge in our garage. I got up, annoyed, and walked out to our garage. On the other side of the door into our garage is another door that leads to the outside. So as I was getting ice cream, I heard a rustling sound, and I assumed it was something just shifting in the freezer. So I closed the freezer door and started to head back inside. The hairs on the back of my neck suddenly stood up, like that feeling you get when someone is watching you. I whipped my head around to see that the door to the outside was slightly open. In the doorway, I caught a glimpse of a man looking in on me, before he ran out of sight i ran inside and i locked the door behind me immediately alerting everyone about what had just happened who would be outside in the cold rain at one in the morning my dad searched the perimeter of our house but didn't find anything and that's not even the creepiest thing though my brother was in there 15 minutes before me and swore that he had locked the door Was that creepy guy in the garage with my brother the whole time and he didn't even know? What was he going to do? I'm glad he ran away and I hope he never comes back. So when my mom was about 26, she and my dad owned this blue minivan. She worked at Montana Mike's Steakhouse as a server and she often worked night shifts, so she'd get out of work at about 9 or 10 p.m. So, one night, she's driving home from work, taking her usual route home, and she glances in her rearview mirror. As she does, she notices the shadow of a body in her trunk. This particular minivan had open raised trunks, and the trunk was visible from the driver's seat. Well, She heard movement in the trunk so she glanced back and sure enough, somebody was back there. So now she's freaking out at this point but doesn't want to make it seem like she knows. So she just continues driving normally. She got to her parents house, which is where we were all living at the time, opens the garage door, parks the car in the garage, gets out, locks the minivan, she goes into the house, locks the garage door, and then goes to get my dad. My dad says that he's too tired to worry about anything and that she should just go to bed. So, after a while, and after some quiet, my mom did just that. The next morning, she went to check on the van and found that the passenger side door was open along with the garage door. What was he doing in my mom's van? What was he hoping to accomplish? Thankfully, he gave up, and we never had to find out. The following story happened when I was around 10 years old. I brought it up to my sister and my mom, who are key witnesses to this occurrence, too, by the way, recently, and they were just as shook as I recall being. The three of us were driving home from the grocery store one summer afternoon. We didn't live in a super high or super low end neighborhood. We were somewhere in the middle, but Definitely not a very common area for weirdness or strange sights or anything like that. We were about two to three blocks away from our house when we began to approach a single vehicle that was parked on a curb with the driver's window rolled down. It was a green SUV, but I'm not sure of the exact make or model. Since it was very light and sunny outside, the three of us easily happened to glance at this car and immediately noticed that something was off about what was inside of it. It had bench seats in both the front and the back, and draped over the middle, there was a person. Their back was completely bent backwards over the seat, and their limbs were crookedly bent at an inhuman angle. Their bare legs were in a jumbled mess, too. If you've seen the original Pet Cemetery, I was getting major Zelda vibes before i could let out and oh my gosh do you guys see this the person snapped their neck quickly towards our passing car glaring at the three of us with huge saucer eyes as their arms began twitching we let out a collective scream and then my mom floored it racing around the corner to the safety of our home i remember feeling this incomparable dread as i quickly fumbled to help get the groceries inside slamming the door behind me once we all made it in a few minutes later after some nervous laughter and banter we heard a sound outside it was like a loud and breaking down car had approached our house and when we peeked through the blinds i saw that that was exactly what it was it was the green suv sitting dead center in front of our house with the engine running i couldn't quite see into the driver's seat. And i was actually glad for that we shut the blinds and sat in hushed silence while the stranger laid on the horn a couple of times before eventually giving up and chugging back down the street it may not seem that scary but at the time it disturbed me to the core and truly played the biggest part in me deciding not to go outside for a while at least on my own it was probably a person coming down from some sort of high but It was just an incredibly disturbing sight, no matter what happened to be going on. My husband and I were given a home that's been in his family for over 60 years, and it needs a ton of work. We moved into it and live primarily on the lower level for now. We haven't done anything as far as updating the outside yet so it still looks like an old run down home. Last year is when this happened. It was late at night as my stepson came in and began to tell me about his day. When we were done talking I decided to go outside and have a smoke before I went off to bed. At the same time my stepson said he needed to run to his car and grab something that he had forgotten. I took a step out onto the porch, and as I went to take my second step, I kicked something with the top of my foot. I looked down, and I saw a white body stretched through the bottom of the screen door. It looked like a very white body with long arms and very big shoulder joints. It was facing the other way, but I know that it had a head, and its one arm was stretched out like it was pulling the rest of itself in. I was so startled that I fell back into the door and almost onto my stepson's feet. He yelled, What is it? A raccoon or something? I couldn't say anything except for no. I asked if he saw it and he said he couldn't see anything outside the door yet since he was behind me. I remember exactly what its skin felt like too. Then about two days after that, I bought a flashlight since the house has trees all around it and I wanted to make sure that didn't happen again. I went out, and I could feel something was in the distance. Then I started hearing screeching that I've never heard before high up in the trees. I went back inside and locked the doors. After a few more months, I started becoming more comfortable with going out on my porch at night again, But the night before last, I went out and I was watching videos on my phone when I heard something on the roof of the porch. I initially thought it was a raccoon, they're pretty common around here, but I quickly realized that it was a lot heavier than what a raccoon sounded like. I stood up from my chair and I heard a couple of running steps and then something landing on the ground and running off, but... I didn't have my big flashlight since I was beginning to feel more comfortable on the porch at night. I started looking online and I'm not sure exactly what it is, so if you have any ideas, please let me know. I come from a dangerous country, so when I moved abroad to a better country in 2016, I had this false sense of security. I used to work in the city as a bartender, but because I was a student and couldn't afford anything in the city, I was renting a room in another suburb. I would usually finish my shift around 2am, I'd catch the bus at 2.30, get to my suburb at around 3, and then walk 10 minutes to my place. There were days, usually on the weekends, when there were people getting off at the same station as me, and there were days where I was all by myself. Honestly, I never felt scared of walking home late because, like I said before, I had this feeling that I was safe. I had survived my home country after all. One day, I got off my bus and I saw a guy standing at the bus stop. He was tall, skinny, and I could tell that he had an Indian background. When I looked at him, he was staring right at me. It was a weird stare, but nothing that initially worried me since i just thought he was there waiting for his bus the next day i got off my bus only to realize that he was there again and again and again at this point i was starting to feel a bit uncomfortable i could now tell that he wasn't there to catch a bus one night i got off the bus and no one got off with me it was one of those days where i had got off all by myself that normally wouldn't be a problem but because the same guy was there i felt uncomfortable i started walking home but that night was different i noticed that he wasn't heading in the direction that he usually goes he was following me as soon as i realized this i started walking a bit faster but not too much because i didn't want to show him that i was scared and as i did i noticed he started walking a bit faster too I thought he was following me, but I couldn't believe something like that might have actually been happening. I decided I was going to run for it as fast as I could. As soon as I could, I turned down the corner and I ran. When I looked back after a few seconds, I saw that he had also turned the same corner and was running too. So, in that moment, I was 100% sure that he was now following me. I managed to reach my building and began searching for my keys it was so hard to get to them because my hands were shaking i could see him coming and he was getting so close to me i finally opened the door and i don't think i'll ever forget when i closed the glass door on his face he got so close to reaching me and he had a smirk on his face too honestly i have no idea what could have happened maybe he just wanted to talk to me or maybe he was dangerous i'm just grateful that i'll never have to know after that it was really hard for me to leave the apartment even in daylight because he now knew where i lived i started catching an uber home and i moved out a few months later i also quit working night shifts i never saw him again and i hope that i never do this was around 2007 i was in college and for those that are interested the school is located in the mountains of western north carolina i'm a female and was 22 at the time my two girlfriends and i were super stoned and decided to walk to the nearest convenience store for cigarettes this was around 9 30 at night in october or november anyways to get there we had to walk down a long stretch of poorly lit road and at that age you think you're invincible right so a few minutes into the walk my mom called as she does every night and i was talking to her while my friends walked a little bit ahead lost in their own conversation suddenly i became aware of a man walking in our direction from several yards away there was nothing specific about him that creeped me out but For some reason, every sense was tuned into him, and I became hyper-focused. I was so focused on him that I realized I couldn't hear my mom anymore, and my responses were nonsense. The hairs on my neck were standing up, and it felt like every fiber of my being was just screaming, Danger! Danger! I managed to stammer out to my mom that I had to call her back, and I just hung up in the middle of whatever she was saying. As the distance between us closed, I noticed my friends had gone completely silent. The tension in our little group was palpable. Then, as our paths began to merge, he stepped into the empty road under one of the few streetlights. He walked around us in a broad circle. He had long, stringy blonde hair, and he was tall and thin. He had a creepy grin on his face and was hunched over slightly. He faces us the entire time, and as we passed, he said in a low, slow, unsettling tone, Good evening, ladies. When he reached the sidewalk again, he continued walking backwards, facing us, and finally howled out, Good night. We were all rigid and bunched together by then, and when we reached the convenience store, All of us were physically trembling. Without ever having said a word to one another, each one of us had experienced the same physical response to seeing this man. Instant fear, hair standing on end, all senses geared toward him, watching and listening and focusing with every ounce of energy. We didn't even speak to one another until we arrived at the convenience store, and then we discussed the situation. We were shocked to realize all of us had experienced the same feelings of abject terror before he ever got anywhere near us we got what we came for and i called my mom back by this point we were all stone cold sober i mean who knew that fear could kill a buzz so fast right one of my girlfriends told us about a house party just down the street We decided to go there and hang out for an hour or so, just to be safe and avoid encountering this man again on the way home. Even now, it still amazes me and gives me the creeps that each of us, separately, had the same visceral reaction to this man for no apparent reason. We likened his behavior to that of a predatory animal, and to this day, I believe if any of us had been alone that night, this story would have ended differently." Let me begin by saying I was born in 1998, so this is by far the weirdest experience I've ever had. Anyway, I'm not much of a dreamer, but when I do dream, it's usually very lucid and memorable. So I had a dream that my mother was alone in an old, really poor-looking house with my newborn sister and was waiting for my dad to get home it was dark out and my mother was anxious waiting at the door hoping that my father would show up soon the house was a one-room structure with only four or five candles illuminating it i was casually talking to my mother saying it's all okay and just reassuring her that everything would be okay suddenly my mother looked at me and was thanking me for being with her while she was alone and for protecting her then next thing i know I wake up i thought it was an odd dream but i didn't think much of it after i showered and went off to work fast forward three days it's a friday night and my parents and i are outside in my front yard sitting around a fire just chatting and my parents began to joke about how my mother used to pop my father's bike tires when they lived in mexico my parents are mexican and came to the u.s in 95 I ask, what's the story behind that? And they begin to explain to me that back when my sister was born in 91, they lived in an old shack in a poor part of a small town in Mexico for about a year. My father had the habit of going out on his bike with his friends to drink and not coming home until the next morning. So my mother would pop the tires on his bike so he wouldn't leave. I laughed and didn't think much else until they continued on about it. My mother said she'd be terrified of being home alone in the tiny house because they lived in an alley known as El Callejón de la Llorona, which translates to Alley of the Weeping Woman. For those unfamiliar, The Weeping Woman is an urban legend in Mexico about a ghost woman who roams areas of Mexico and even parts of the U.S. weeping for her missing kids. So, naturally, an alley named after the ghost is going to be terrifying. My mother continued on, saying how terrified she was in that house alone, and would wait, praying for my father to come home. My father then made a joke, saying something along the lines of, Why did you want me there? You claimed your guardian angel was protecting you. At this point, I thought, okay, what the F? So I asked my mom more, and she told me that she one night was visited by a man who seemingly came out of the wall, but she felt comfort and familiarity around him. He sat and spoke to her, reassuring her that it's going to be okay, before the man seemingly walked back into the wall. My mother said that after this, she felt a strong calmness around and was no longer afraid of being there. This tripped me out considering I was born in 98 and I had never heard a thing about my mother's story until after I had that dream. I'm not sure if it's just a coincidence or if it's something more complex. In 1993, I was 17 and attended Lollapalooza in Orlando, Florida. I wore black jeans, black military surplus jump boots, and a black ministry t-shirt from their Psalm 69 tour the year prior, which I also saw in Orlando. It's not the most unique outfit at the festival, but this part will become important later in the story. Here's a picture on the screen of what I was wearing. Primus was the headliner that year. During their set, while I was having a blast circle moshing around in the pit... I accidentally shoulder checked this guy pretty hard. Back then, mosh pits seemed much friendlier than they are today. Impacting with others, while expected and unavoidable, was never meant to harm anyone. Whenever you did accidentally run into someone too hard or someone got knocked down, it was just common courtesy to help them up and to make sure they're okay. So, I accidentally shoulder checked this guy and immediately spun around to make sure he was good and in that instant it felt like time started to slow down as i spun around to see him he too spun around to see me and when we made eye contact it felt like everything stopped for a moment i was looking at myself not only did we look the same We were wearing the exact same clothing that even appeared to be in the same condition. Our shirts were equally faded, you know, things like that. The only detail that struck me as being any different was it seemed as if my hair was slightly longer than his, maybe by an inch or two at the most, as if mine had been growing for a few months longer than his. The frozen moment lasted for what seemed like just a second or two, and then time seemed to abruptly return, and the crowd swallowed us back up. I didn't see him again, and I remember thinking that it felt odd in the moment, but I must have wrote it off. I was likely easily distracted by the music, the lights, the people, and everything else happening around me. In hindsight, this is always the hardest part of the memory for me to reconcile with. It seems like if something like that happened today, I would stop everything and investigate but the best I can figure is that I just rationalized it away as a dumb distracted teen after all it could have just been some other guy wearing the same clothes right after Primus was over I was leaving the concert fairgrounds to head back to my car with my friend whom I had driven there someone laying on a blanket nearby started yelling at us as we walked by the guy got up He ran over and started walking alongside us, asking us stuff about where we were going, when we were going to meet so-and-so, etc. My friend and I had no idea who this dude was and had dealt with our fair share of stone weirdos, so we just ignored him. When he realized we weren't stopping, he sprinted ahead of me and placed both of his hands on my shoulders to physically stop me from moving he started addressing me by the wrong name and was confused as to why i was acting this way i knocked his hands off me told him to back off and my friend and i kept walking to my car leaving him standing there staring at me with a shocked expression at the time we laughed it off like man what was wrong with that guy But the next day everything started to make sense once i chatted online with another friend who attended the same festival this other friend was someone that i've known for years but wasn't very close with he was the level of friend where i knew he was at the same show but i didn't expend any energy looking for him or making plans to meet up or anything like that he initiated the chat and asked if he had done something to piss me off I had no idea what he was talking about so he told me this anecdote he was watching some band at the festival when this crowd surfing guy got past his way and fell down in front of him he helped him up and realized it was me he greeted me and tried to give me a hug but i shoved him away i cursed at him and then i stormed off he was left completely baffled why i would have acted that way when he thought we were cool there were two huge problems with this anecdote. One, I never crowd surfed, ever. And two, at the time this happened, I was with my friend watching a different band at a different stage. What's fascinating is that both my friend during the crowd surfing incident and my doppelganger's friend from the blanket incident were close enough to each of us to make physical contact and look us squarely in the eyes yet They both mistook us for one another. The author has included an edit. He says, let me preemptively say, I was not on drugs, I wasn't drinking alcohol, I have no history of mental illness, nor does it run in my family, and nothing like this has ever happened to me again. This story happened to my parents sometime between 1994 and 1997. One hot summer day, my parents decided they wanted to go to the local drive-in to catch a movie. They called their friends. It was a couple that I'll call, Martin and Jessica, to see if they wanted to come along. They said they would love to go, so my parents left to go pick them up. On their way to pick up Martin and Jessica, my parents spotted a man on a street corner. He was dressed in a long black trench coat, black pants, black boots, and a black fedora type of hat. This was very odd, considering it was easily the hottest day of the summer, and most people in the area were walking around shirtless or with t-shirt and shorts. He was staring at my parents in their car with an expression my mother could only describe as evil. He was smiling in an alarming way, and his head followed the car as they passed by. Out of all the cars driving by, he decided to stare at my parents and followed the car with his gaze. My parents thought it was very odd, as he was just focusing on them and no one else, and due to the way he was dressed, also no one else who happened to be walking on the same sidewalk as the man seemed to notice him it just came off as bizarre my parents arrived at martin and jessica's house and picked them up they told them about the man joking that he was probably some drug dealer or homeless person as he seemed very out of place in the rural area so now they're on their way to the drive-in To get to our local drive-in, you have to pass through the downtown area of my city and turn off into a highway that takes you to the local university. The drive-in is on the side of said highway before you reach the university. I hope that makes sense. Anyway, as they turn into the downtown area, they notice the same man wearing the same clothes, having that same evil smile, and staring at them and no other car again. My parents tell Martin and Jessica that it's the man that they saw earlier and everyone gets a little creeped out. There's no way he could have walked that far from when they first saw him. But my parents did stop to pick up Martin and Jessica, so he could have gotten a cab to where he was now standing downtown. They keep driving and turn down a street about 30 seconds after they see him. And when they turn the corner down the street, there he is. The same man, same grin, still focused on just my parents. Everyone starts freaking out because it's impossible for him to be there. They just passed him, not even a minute earlier. They all agree that something's not right, but they still decide to keep going. They pass by the local cineplex and see him standing by an intersection now they can't believe their eyes because there he is again 45 seconds after seeing him on the same road martin and jessica watch from the back seat of the car to make sure that he's still there which he is they decide to keep an eye on him to make sure he isn't getting picked up by anyone and somehow being dropped off in different locations at an unbelievable speed just as my parents car is driving up the hill which leads to the turnoff onto the highway the man finally fades from martin and jessica's sight and they turn back around when the car reaches the top of the hill the man is standing on the sidewalk just staring and smiling everyone starts screaming and they turn the car around and speed back to martin and jessica's house to this day the story still freaks them out and they have no idea who or what he was they never saw that man again do you have any idea of what or who that could have been this happened in november of 1993 shortly after my 14th birthday My parents were divorced, and it was my weekend to spend with my father. He called me up Friday after school, apologizing and saying that he wasn't feeling well. Said he had flu-like symptoms and really needed to rest, and he couldn't spend time with me that weekend. I was disappointed, but I still understood. Dad and I were close. I now had an entire weekend ahead of me with no plans, so... I pretty much just lounged around Friday night and Saturday I made arrangements to spend the night with a friend. We stayed up late doing what adolescent boys did in the 90s, sharing a beer we stole from the fridge and playing Tecmo Bowl on Nintendo. We finally went to bed and I slept on the couch. For a couch, it was pretty comfy and I slept well enough. For no reason that I was aware of at the time, I woke up just as it was starting to get light nobody else was up yet and while it wasn't like i shot up out of bed i do remember i was wide awake and completely aware i looked at my watch it was 8:20 a.m too early to get up before going back to sleep i had one thought i wonder how dad's feeling i'll have to give him a call after i get up the next thing i remember is my mother waking me up and telling me that we had to go there was a feeling in the whole house that something was very wrong. We went out to the car and we got in. Mom got in the back seat with me, which was very odd. She put her arm around me and said, Son, your dad's dead. I don't remember much else of the ride to grandma's house, which is where dad had been living since the divorce, or the rest of the morning for that matter. His body was still in the house when we arrived, and it's a vision that will stay with me forever. But here's the weird part. Myself, my mother, my stepdad, my brother, and my grandma, even the freaking coroner, are all sitting at the dinner table. The coroner needed a time of death for the death certificate, and after going over the events of the morning, they decided he must have passed at about 8.20 a.m. Coincidence? Maybe. Was dad trying to contact me somehow? I don't know. It didn't feel like that, but I do believe completely that I somehow felt his passing, though I didn't realize it at the time. For those interested, my dad died of a massive heart attack that morning. Flu-like symptoms are common, and he didn't tell anyone how sick he really was, but we all think that he knew. I was on the phone with my mother earlier and we spoke of something that happened when I was a kid that I thought you guys might enjoy. My parents bought their first house in Canada in the fall of 1980, five years before I was born. My mom has a habit of taking off her rings every night before she goes to bed, leaving them on her nightstand. And one night in the first few weeks that she had lived in that house, she did just that. She took off her wedding ring her engagement ring and the other ring that she wore all the time which was 18 karat gold with a large aquamarine a gift her parents got her when my older brother was born the next day she wakes up and her engagement ring and wedding band are on the nightstand but not the aquamarine ring she searched for it she moved the nightstand in case it fell behind she checked under the bed and even checked the drawers and it was nowhere to be found she then figured she must have lost it somewhere. Obviously, she was upset over it since it had sentimental value to her. Fast forward to 1995. I'm now 10 years old at that point, and I had never seen or even heard of that ring until then. My mom was having an asthma attack, and she asked me to get her inhaler, which was on that nightstand. I run to get it for her, and I noticed the ring right next to it. I bring my mom her inhaler and once her asthma attack was gone, I told her that I saw her new ring and that it looked really pretty. She was very confused and asked me what I was talking about and I tell her that I saw a gold ring with a large light blue gem on it. She walked to her bedroom and broke down in tears. I had no clue what was going on until she told me the whole story and to this day we can't explain what happened. Okay, I've been sitting on this story since the 90s, when it happened. Here's a little bit of background. At the time, I was about 23 years old. I shared a home with my then husband, my sister, and my two young kids, and this was about 1994. One thing you should know is that throughout my entire life, things have just gone missing around me. As inexplicable as those events were, I always just pinned it on me being klutzy, unattentive, or forgetful. Anyways, when we moved into this place, the missing stuff went into complete overdrive. It was making me feel insane. I was at a point in my life where I didn't want to accept it as one of those things anymore. It just wasn't a reasonable explanation, and stuff was going missing constantly, pretty much daily. I'd make up explanations in my head, no matter how unlikely the explanation was. Okay, maybe my two-year-old got out of bed, silently came down the stairs, made it past everyone in the living room without being seen, went into the kitchen, silently made it onto the counter, grabbed my lost item, and then did the whole thing in reverse. Maybe. And then a week later, replicated it, but this time he put the item back. I mean, honestly... Very unlikely. But what other explanation is there? So here's the event. It's a weekday. My sister went to work. My shift working husband is taking the kids out of town to visit his family. And I'm taking the day to get some child-free errands done. I got everyone out the door, had a coffee, read the newspaper in peace, and then started gathering my items for my errands. I put my keys on the coffee table while I went to the kitchen to put my cup in the sink. Note that because I had a two-year-old, there was nothing else on the coffee table. We kept it bare as much as possible. I come back into the living room and the keys aren't there. Okay. Okay. This is ridiculous. I retrace my steps. Maybe I absently picked them up again, but no, the kitchen counter is bare. Okay, maybe it's inside my coat that I had put down. Still no. I'll fast forward through much of the next 45 minutes. I will say that I had the idea that maybe my losing stuff was due to a brain tumor or something. Like maybe the items really were there and for some reason I just wasn't seeing them. Which led me to sweeping my arms across the coffee table at least a dozen times and turning it on its side at least three more times. I looked at every place I could think of. In kitchen cupboards, in the bathroom that I hadn't even used that day yet, in the upstairs bathroom that I definitely hadn't even used yet, in the sink, which was empty besides one cup. I even looked under the sofa, which I lifted up. I was running out of places to look. I finally thought, fine, you know what? I have gone insane. Maybe I never had the keys. Maybe my husband accidentally took them. Whatever. I'm not doing any errands today. I decided I'm done. I dejectedly walked back into the living room. On the middle of the otherwise bare coffee table were my keys. That was one of two incidents that I absolutely could not explain, no matter how unlikely. This was a small town house. Very small. Limited ways in and out. And I was definitely alone in the house. And for the record, my things still disappear. Nowadays, I just shrug. I am not playing hide-and-seek anymore, universe. It was the summer of 1990, and I was with two friends, D and S, walking through London from Camden Town back down along Camden High Street towards the center of the city, we stopped to wait at a pedestrian crossing for the lights to change the standard british pelican crossing is a plain red silhouette of a man standing still as usual when waiting for the lights to change we all watched them impatiently eventually they did change to the normal british green man mid-stride and we started crossing As we walked, we kept an eye on the lights to make sure we had enough time to make it across comfortably. About halfway across the road, there was, quite literally, a ripple in reality. A brief flash of disturbance and suddenly the lights had changed again, but not back to red. The plain green guy was now wearing wide-bottomed flares and glasses. He had long, flowing hair cascading out behind him and had a line of stars from in front of his forehead that trailed over his head and down his back, each one slightly bigger than the previous, like some kind of cloak. We all stopped dead and exchanged stunned looks. One of us, I forget which, said, did you? And the other two both replied, yes, before he could even finish the sentence. Then we remembered the traffic and hurried across the road. And waited nervously for the lights to go red again sure enough on both sides of the road the red guy had changed as well he was now carrying a briefcase smoking a pipe with wisps of smoke rising wearing a little hamburg hat and he had big brogues on his feet we watched the light cycle for about 10 minutes or so but eventually continued on feeling extremely freaked out a couple of days later, I was talking about it with a group of friends. To my amazement, one of the girls said, Oh, yeah, I heard about that. I muttered something incredulous, and she told me that she'd seen an article in the press talking about how the council had recently changed the lights on that pedestrian crossing. Apparently, it was some sort of tribute about the death of a singer who had been famous in the 60s and who had lived on that street. She was certain that the three of us there had just not noticed the difference in lights until we were halfway across the road but I was far from convinced the council changing the plates over the lights made sense but not in less than the blink of an eye anyway L promised to bring me the article to have a look at at our next gathering a couple of weeks later however just a few days later I went back to Camden to look at the changed lights more closely. The construction was standard. They were just black painted glass, the top section red glass and the bottom section green with the shapes of the men etched out of the paint with white bulbs behind. The figures were based on the original templates of the walk go men but with extra details etched out of the black paint to provide the outfits. The glass was bolted in and took up the entire casing in front of the light bulbs. There was no possible mechanism by which they could have slid down in front of the other plates or anything of that sort. Just in case, I hung around at a cafe across the road for about an hour watching the lights, but they stayed changed. And about a week after that, I went back again for another look to get a sketch of the altered designs. I was disappointed to find that the lights were back to being perfectly normal. It was our regular gathering a couple of days later, and I was quite keen to see the article that Elle had mentioned. When I asked her if she had brought it in, however, she looked at me, blankly. She clearly didn't have the slightest idea what I was talking about. She didn't remember me mentioning anything about traffic lights, Camden, or anything else, and neither did any of the others there. She had never heard anything about the council changing some pedestrian crossing lights or even of a singer from the 60s dying recently. In fact, none of them remembered me saying anything much at our previous gathering. When I retold the story, everyone seemed quite spooked by it all. I called D and S immediately afterwards and, yes, they still remembered it, clearly. D seemed amused by it all and... S was just terrified. The only explanation that I can even begin to stand up to Occam is that we briefly swapped into a closely aligned parallel dimension. If the other two hadn't been there, I doubt I'd trust my own memory of the event. It was so surreal. But as it happens, I've since had a couple of other experiences that also look a little like some minor dimensional swapping, although they're less dramatic. i'm 25 and this is something that's been happening to me from what i've been told ever since i could speak coherently some of the incidences i remember personally and some i was made aware of by my mother when it happened again more recently i come from a big family and we've all been close going back to my great-grandparents generation my mother's parents both passed before i was born but she has piles of old photo books and hours of stories about them so I still felt as if I knew them myself. I tell you all of this as a precursor to the most recent example of this weird occurrence. With my grandma's birthday on my mom's side just passing this week, I sat down with my mother to look through some old photo albums. As we flipped through the pages, she pointed out photos and shared stories. Ones that I've heard a million times before, but it makes her happy, so I let her go on. As she turns to the next page, I see a picture of my Uncle Kenny wearing a large Stetson hat, aviator sunglasses, and a white button-down shirt. I pointed to the picture, I frowned, and I said that's the day he crashed his Cutlass. I feel so bad for him still about Shadow." I felt my mom's eyes on me and lifted my head to her looking at me with a puzzled expression. She pointed to the date at the bottom of the photo. It was June 12, 1983, and I wasn't born until 1995. I hadn't remembered my uncle ever talking about the car, and my mom said she wasn't sure that he had ever driven one, and neither of us had any idea who Shadow was so we called him to find out. He answered, and my mom asked about the car. He seemed confused, but confirmed that, yes, he had owned a Cutlass Supreme, brand new in 83, and recalled how upset he was having crashed it only six months later. My mother asks nothing else, and he goes on to say, it was even worse because I lost Shadow that same day. My mom tells him what I said about the photo and asks him to explain a little more. He had been driving with Shadow in the passenger seat, window open, when he was t-boned by someone who ran a stop sign. Unfortunately, Shadow was ejected through the open window and he didn't make it. After we hung up, my mom just looked at me funny for a moment and walked away. How did I remember something that happened 12 years before I was born and was never told about previously? Hmm. I have two stories that I've decided to post. Um, The first one happened in 1993. I was living in New York City and had to take the subway to downtown Manhattan after getting off the subway as i was walking to work i felt overwhelmed by my surroundings the loud noises the foul odor and the huge number of homeless made me long for the small town that i grew up in please understand that i am very sympathetic to the plight of the homeless as my mother always said there but for the grace of god go i that morning however I really just felt submerged by the hopelessness of those around me. For some reason, I said to myself, this is just like Tijuana. I have no clue why I said that, as I've never been to Tijuana, and that's not an expression that I've used before or since that morning. I have been to Mexico since then, and I had a delightful time, but never been to Tijuana. I have no idea what it's even like. I would describe it as a random and bizarre thought. After I said that to myself, I thought, where did that even come from? Again, I didn't say this out loud, I said it in my head. I walked maybe ten more steps, and I saw a man approaching me. My first guess was that he was homeless. When he was about three or four feet from me, he inclined his head towards me, looked me straight in the eyes, and said, hey 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 welcome to tijuana i was shocked i knew that i had not said that out loud and after he said that we both just kept walking in opposite directions unlike everybody else that morning he was exceptionally happy and seemed to be having great fun honestly i felt like he had just read my mind it was very disconcerting i did turn around and look at him while i was walking in the opposite direction and he was still there walking away it was all very bizarre here's the second story i'd like to post last year my family and i were very stressed as my mother was living in an assisted living facility and she was failing she has since passed away My sister was especially taking the brunt of it as she was visiting my mother weekly while working a very intense job. Around eight o'clock in the evening, I felt the air beside me shift and I heard a huge crackle. It almost sounded like electricity. At the same moment, or so it seemed, I heard my sister say my name very intensely and almost angrily. I was shocked and I looked around expecting to see her. We live in two separate states, and sadly, we're about 12 hours apart. I wish we lived closer. I didn't call my sister that night because I was afraid she might already be asleep as she gets up so early in the mornings. I did speak to her in the next evening, though, and I told her what had happened, and she told me that our mother told her earlier in the day before I called that she had also heard her call out to her as well. My sister wasn't mad at me, but I think the intensity of the situation and her stress load somehow came across when she said my name. The following is a story that took place quite a few years ago, but it still baffles me and I'd like to share it here. I'm a teenager and I've been in the Boy Scouts almost my entire life. I really enjoy exploring with my friends and being trusted more now that I'm older. A few years ago, myself and two girls, Amy and Harriet, were asked to go into the woods surrounding our campsite to find a long, straight stick suitable for carving into a point. Remember, I was a lot younger then. Harriet was the oldest and Amy was only one year older than myself. We walked in the same direction to avoid getting lost and memorized our surroundings as we went. After 15 minutes, we couldn't find the right kind of stick, so we turned back towards the campsite. That's when the initial panic set in. The trees appeared to have knitted themselves together in a way that completely concealed our path, like it had just vanished. We turned a complete circle and everything looked exactly the same. Trees we could have sworn were different all looked like copies of one another. We continued walking in what we thought would be the right direction while shouting out for help and eventually we came to a concrete path. It was almost like a road but thinner and it split the forest in half. We didn't follow the road because we knew it was going in the wrong direction. On the other side of the path was more forest, however. There was an abandoned shack nearby, probably used for storage at one point. We had no idea anything like this was out there, so we just kept walking. Eventually, we came to a road that we didn't recognize. A woman, wearing a pink and purple regatta outdoors coat, walked past and we frantically asked her for directions. By now, we'd been walking for an hour and a half. She said she had never seen it before, but she pointed in the direction of another campsite. We followed her advice and eventually came back to our campsite. We apologized for being gone for so long and still not finding anything. The leader, Ian, could see that the three of us were shaken up, but he said we were only gone for 25 minutes and we hadn't used all of our free time yet. To this day, it still baffles all three of us. The time limit was 40 minutes, and our watches said that we were gone for hours. The forest we were lost in just felt crushing and claustrophobic, like we had entered an area where the concept of time didn't apply. I believe in the paranormal, but this was so unlike anything I've heard or experienced before, It was like we entered a time vortex hours in the forest were only minutes in the rest of the world the feeling was very strange and it stuck with me for the rest of our trip thank you for reading my story it's a weird one but it's true this happened about 13 years ago when i was a sophomore at a liberal arts college in Suffolk County, New York. Within the first couple of months of freshman year, I found myself in a very tight-knit group of fellow theater geeks. In total, there were six guys and one girl. Plus, they all loved horror movies and ghost stories. I had found my crew. That year was tough, but we supported each other and made the whole experience more enjoyable. At the beginning of sophomore year, we decided to find a creepy wooded spot in a nearby town for the Halloween season. We wanted to scare the crap out of ourselves. We did some research and found a particularly isolated area known for paranormal sightings about 30 minutes away. It was perfect. The seven of us took two cars and headed out into the night. Allow me to set the scene. You turn off the busy main road flooded with strip malls and restaurants, and you're almost immediately greeted by complete darkness. Again, this area was heavily wooded. It was essentially a large web of winding roads surrounded by trees with very few streetlights or houses. Without a GPS or good sense of direction, one can easily get lost. We made sure to have fully charged phones and flashlights just in case. But the goal was to keep driving until we collectively decided to pull over and go exploring. We turned left off of the main road and drove roughly 30 more minutes into this dark network, picking directions at random and intentionally getting lost. Eventually, we turned to find a huge log in front of us. We had reached a dead end with nothing but trees beyond it. We all got out stepped over the log and noticed two narrow trails leading in different directions this seemed like a good a time as any to grab our flashlights and do some amateur ghost hunting we flipped a coin and set off on the trail to the right it was so narrow we had to walk single file to avoid being hit by branches for some reason i ended up in the back I'm usually pretty rational and level-headed, but the further we went in, the more uneasy I became. I kept hearing sounds deep in the woods and couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched. But I was the only one hearing things. I shrugged it off as my imagination. Our whole reason for being there was to get scared. Plus, we were seven able-bodied college students what would we come across that could take us down? We headed down this trail for about 20 minutes, and just as I thought it would never end, we came to a massive clearing. It was a large, open field of unkempt grass, like a golf course, but much less manicured. Trees surrounded the entire field, and we couldn't see the end from where we stood. I was thrilled to get out of that narrow trail but I don't think any of us were expecting to find an area so vast. One of us looked to the right and said, Hey, check that out. We all turned to see an old, dilapidated house several hundred yards away. It was completely dark, with no cars or signs of anyone living there. We walked over to shine our lights at it and found the windows and doors boarded up. I managed to peer between the boards on one window and saw an old white couch covered in plastic, but an otherwise empty room. Whoever used to live there was long gone. Since there was no way in, and we were sufficiently creeped out by the house anyway, we decided to sit down near the trail and discuss where to go next. As we walked back, but before we could sit, Mark stopped. His expression dropped, and we saw him point. We all turned on the far side of the field, directly across from where we entered. We saw someone tall, lanky, and pale dancing among the trees. And by dancing, I mean he was skipping, grabbing trees and swinging around them, basically a do The moon was so bright and the woods so dark It took a second for us to really understand what we were looking at. Jay, the 6'4 skeptic of our group, wasn't seeing it. I leaned into him, pointed in that direction, and said, Jay, look where I'm pointing. Don't you see that? He squinted, and the second he saw it, he gasped loudly, clutched my arm, and he whispered, What the frick is that? What happened next sent shock waves through us all. Whoever this was, they stopped dancing, looked in our direction, and started charging straight at us. Without thinking, we panicked and ran back to the trail. Yet again, Jay was the only one who didn't see what was happening. He shouted after us. He said, guys, what is it? Where are you going? After roughly 15 seconds of running like hell, I heard Jay scream some expletive. I looked back and saw his flashlight following the rest of us into the trail. While the walk into the woods took 20 minutes, we made it back to our cars and were peeling away in five. Once we were a safe distance, we pulled over, got out, and checked in with each other about what had just happened. My heart was pounding, and I know everyone else felt the same way. Nearly 15 years later, we're all still friends. We live in different states, but have kept in touch through marriages, divorces, and children. Occasionally, out of the blue, one of us will send a group text to the others with something to the effect of, The woods. That really happened, right? It most certainly did. That experience is always in the back of my mind, and I'm pretty sure it always will be. Here's the thing that still resonates with me about that night. Whoever was dancing maniacally in the woods at one in the morning ran directly for a group of young adults and wasn't fazed by the fact that they were severely outnumbered. Did he know we were there from the second we parked? Was he the sound that I kept hearing as we walked the trail? Whatever the case, when he came for us that night, you can be sure none of us wanted to stick around and see what he was capable of. i'm a 25 year old male who's into urbex which is urban exploration it's something i often do alone and typically start at dawn this story reaffirmed that decision for me one night i was out drinking with some buddies and my hobby came up later in the night the place we went to was starting to die down so they asked if i knew of a cool spot nearby The first place that popped into my mind was an old, abandoned factory in the woods. It was roughly a five to ten minute drive. I didn't quite remember the path to get there. You have to leave the trail at some point, and the cloud cover made it difficult to see. Plus, one of my friends isn't in the best shape thanks to diabetes. I had them stay on the trail while I fumbled around in the dark to make sure we were going in the right direction. When I finally returned, they asked how far out I went because they heard something walk by the trail. I dismissed it as a stray dog and led them into the woods until we saw the fence. Then we followed it until finding the hole someone made ages ago. When we were getting close, I heard footsteps roughly 15 feet to our right on the same side of the fence and I stopped dead in my tracks. At that moment, my entire body was screaming for me to run, and the only thing going through my mind was, those were human. I turned back to my friends, and judging by the looks on their faces, they heard it too. I told them we should skip this for tonight, and they quickly agreed and turned back to the trail while I stayed behind to make sure they weren't followed. And yes, I know I would be the first to die in a horror movie. As I waited for them to get further away, I didn't hear or see anything. Once I thought they made it back to the trail, I took off running, and we quickly made it back to the car. Since then, I've chalked it up to a homeless guy going there to crash for the night, but it felt like they were following us, and it triggered my fight-or-flight instinct super hard. this story really isn't that scary but it's a little unsettling i grew up two hours north of new york city in a small town off a state highway i lived in a small house on a big plot and the forest behind it went on for miles and miles there was a trail that i could access from our land but i had never done so my grandma would stay with us quite often and around the same time every year, some sort of fungus would start growing around our land. I don't know if they were mushrooms, but they kind of look like large reptilian eggs. Grandma would say to stay away from them because the witch put them there. She also said to stay away from the trail because the witch lived there. I was about five or six at the time, and I remember not believing her, but I did heed her advice And i stayed away from both one day my sister and i were playing outside while grandma watched us the eggs were grown and we glanced at the trail's entrance and we froze standing there was a white woman dressed in a black robe and a black hat without hesitation my sister and i bolted inside and grandma followed us my sister doesn't remember this now And grandma's too old, but I have vivid memories from that age. It's possible this memory is something that I just created in my head, but I know what my memories from preschool feel like. This happened a few years later, and it sure does feel like a memory. I have always believed that there are things in the woods that we don't understand and have reason to fear. I'm definitely a believer in skinwalkers and I would be very interested to have someone help me figure out what was growing in my yard. This is the first of many creepy stories that my roommate and I experienced during our freshman year of college. For context, Pat and I met in high school and roomed together in college. They say don't live with your friends, but we had a lot in common and got along very well. We were city kids, but we went to college out in the sticks. The campus was secluded from the highway and surrounded by woods. Our freshman year, we shared a typical cinder block dorm room. Two single beds, two desks, two dressers, and a closet with no doors. There was space at the top for storage containers with enough room for someone to sit up there if they wanted, and often we did. One night, we stayed up late, just BSing for hours. We talked about school, dream jobs, girls, religion, all the basics. When Pat suddenly changed his tone, he said he was having recurring dreams that were freaking him out. In the dream, he was walking in the woods and came across a very... Unnerving porcelain doll. Every time he tries to pick it up, he suddenly wakes in a panic, like one does when they dream that they're falling. I could see it was bothering him, but wasn't too concerned. I told him he probably was worrying too much and it would likely pass in time. That was my opinion until I started having the same dream just a few days later. One night, we had the dream at the same time and we both woke up screaming. This happened on Thursday night, and since the next day was Friday, and we both had light schedules, we decided to take our bikes on a ride through the woods. After class, we got lunch at the cafeteria, hopped on our bikes, and took the trail into the woods. Since Pat is the most familiar with the dream, he led the way and remarked how similar the woods were to his dreams. We rode for an hour and we could both feel the tension and bad vibes increasing as we went deeper into the forest. Pat stopped suddenly and said, This is it. This is where the doll is. Let's go right. We went a quarter of a mile into the brush, and we found it. It was a porcelain baby doll with a green dress and bonnet. It was an exact match to the one from our dream we felt the bad vibes intensify to the point where we were dripping in sweat even though it was a cool, overcast autumn day. The most unnerving thing was that this doll was in pristine condition, completely unaffected by the elements. The wind blew hard enough to cause our shirts to flare out and our bikes to rattle, but the doll didn't move an inch. We quickly looked at each other And without saying a word, we agreed it was time to leave. We hopped on our bikes and took off for campus. Neither of us could sleep that night, so we put on a movie and took some Z-Quil. Eventually, we passed out. In the early morning hours, we woke to the sound of a girl giggling. We both thought the other may have snuck a girl in, but that wasn't the case. A voice said, Hey, up there and we looked to see the storage cut out above the closet. A red-headed girl with a white dress and an indistinguishable face sat there, expressionless, and we only stared. In a passive voice, she said, "'Why did you leave me there?' Neither of us could speak. I finally managed to mumble an unsure, "'What?' "'You heard me.' I said, "'Why did you leave me there?' suddenly everything on the storage cutout fell to the floor and broke open the noise was so loud that it woke our neighbors who thankfully were also good friends they knocked on the door from the adjoining bathroom and came in we had no way of explaining what happened they would think we were crazy instead we told them the base of the cutout broke and just dumped our stuff all over the floor They accepted the story, and we spent the remainder of the night cleaning the mess left by that redhead. We never went back to those woods, and we never went looking for the doll. The dream kept happening, but thankfully slowly fizzled away. To this day, Pat and I are still close friends, but we don't talk about the doll or the girl. This is a true story that happened a little while ago. I get sick quite often since my immune system sucks and I have a horrible acid reflux, so I stay home a lot while my mom and stepdad work. I got picked up from school earlier a few weeks ago because I wasn't feeling well and mom said to take our dog for a walk. No big deal, I'll sit and rest while he plays, it's something that I do regularly. As I'm sitting there, my dog starts acting weird. He's a chihuahua puppy, and if you have one, you know that they're weird little dudes. At first, I didn't think anything of it, but he usually barks, and this time, he was just shying towards me and whimpering. It was strange, but again, he's weird, so my dumb self didn't think anything of it. Then, I start hearing weird sounds coming from the woods, for context, my house is surrounded by thick, deep woods and the highway is out front. Other than that, I'm pretty secluded. I step off my porch and that's when I really hear what's making him so nervous. It sounds like a puppy or a fox is hurt really badly, so I, an idiot, start walking towards it to look for the animal to make sure it's okay. Okay. As I'm getting closer, my dog is losing his mind and barking at me to go back. That's when it started to sound less like an animal and more like someone trying to sound like an animal. It sounded like someone with a scratchy throat trying to make a whimpering puppy noise. It was freaky as hell. Maybe my dog is onto something. I scoop him up and we go back inside for the rest of the day the next incident was about a week later when i was home alone sick again i was calling my dog to come eat his breakfast and yell here brian then i heard my mother's voice say come here brian come here boy from the woods holy forking shirt balls i called my mom and she insisted that she was still at work i called my very logical dad in tears And he said it was either an echo or just my imagination, but I know what I heard. There's no way she could have pranked me either. I called her work, and they confirmed that she had been there the whole time. I'm an extremely spiritual witch and believe in all kinds of spirits. I even work with two deities and practice witchcraft often. At this point, I'm open to whatever explanation there is, but I know this was paranormal. I'm like a magnet for that kind of stuff. If you have any idea what that could have been, please let me know. Last year, I moved up to the city with my mom to take care of my grandma. She had a stroke and a heart attack and she didn't want to spend her last days in a nursing home. Anyways, I was working at a grow during the time and this place was haunted. I could just feel it. I would also see things move in the corner of my eyes, and I was convinced that there was some type of poltergeist at the place because things would just fall, or they had been in the same spot for hours, or stuff would just shift. Well, one day we were trimming and someone was talking, so I turned to look at them, and in the corner of the room, there was an extremely tall shadow person, like eight or nine feet tall. I couldn't see its face, but just an outline of it, and it was extremely dark. It looked like it was wearing a long coat and a tall hat. I looked at it for a minute, too. It let me stare at it. It knew that I saw it, and it saw me. It totally freaked me out. So I turned back to continue trimming, pretending like nothing happened, and when I did my scissors that were sitting blade down in a cup about a third full of alcohol spun full circle in the cup i looked up to see if anyone noticed but nobody did and i don't think they saw the shadow person either so i just prayed over myself and everyone else on the property and continued my job then about a week later my grandma passed away So, I don't know if it was death or something that I manifested or attracted for wallowing in grief. Have you ever seen anything like this? I haven't seen it since, but I don't think I'll ever forget it. I was living in an apartment at the time. Not uncommon for a 24-year-old to do. And my partner had decided to go to bed early because they wanted to start doing a morning workout routine. I said, whatever, nerd. I don't want to do that. So that meant that after 8.30, I was alone and I didn't need to be at work until 10.30 the next day. And anyways, I worked from home, so prep time was minimum. Roughly 10.40ish p.m. comes and I get a knock on my front door. I was replaying Skyrim for the 57th time and assumed it was my neighbor since we were buddies. When I opened the door, nobody was there. Ding dong ditching bastards, I thought to myself. Incorrectly. I closed the door and I laugh about it. Then I get scared for some reason. Now, I'm a big guy. Powerlifter, weighing 270 at the time and 6'4". I was shoved to the ground like a child as if i was full force pushing a six-year-old to the ground i hit my head on the couch and the controller broke when i flung it going down i bled a lot from a small scratch on my head like way more than i was expecting to i get up from that shaken and looking around for some kind of monster or something but nothing the whole apartment is still But I feel horrified, and I don't want to go wake up my partner to tell them that my big ass was just thrown by a freaking monster that I couldn't even see. I cleaned up the blood and called my mom. She had a lot of experience with paranormal stuff, and I'm more of a skeptic in general. She had me do some cleansing things and walk around saying this was my house and that whatever else was in there had no right to be. I felt at ease a few hours later, and... Went to bed i woke up to a dull silence that i wasn't used to my fan was off in fact all the power was off i checked the breaker box and nothing was flipped so i called my uncle who worked on apartments and he actually answered me and told me there was probably a main breaker outside that was flipped i walked outside and saw my main breaker box was open and sure enough flipped I flipped it back on and went back inside. Now, there was a tension that I started to feel that I just couldn't shake. So I called my mom again and I told her what happened. And she said, it turned your power off so you'd open the door. Otherwise, why did it knock the first time? Whatever this behemoth was, it was back in my apartment. And I started to feel worried. I heard heavy footsteps going towards the bathroom and then in the bedroom that we used as an office. When I went in that room, it was tense, but I wasn't going to fight this thing. For the last year that we were there, that room always felt heavy and weird and we never liked it. Luckily, we moved and no longer have to deal with whatever that was. I started working at the Broadmoor Hotel in Colorado Springs in the fall of 1993. The Broadmoor is a 100-year-old five-star hotel that stands in the shadow of Cheyenne Mountain. The close proximity to the mountain and the age of the original hotel give the place a mysterious and sometimes foreboding feeling. The hotel has had its share of guests that checked in and never checked out I was hired as one of five electricians the hotel kept on the maintenance staff in their facilities services department as a trusted member of the facilities team I was given a set of master keys that would open any door within the hotel after a year of working at the hotel I knew every corridor, ballroom basement tunnel, ceiling crawl space, I knew it all The electricians all started in the pre-dawn hours before the guests were even awake. It was our job to walk all the hallways, meeting rooms, ballrooms, dining areas, everywhere, and replace any lamps that we found to be burnt out, which included the huge glass chandeliers and hundred-year-old wall sconces. Each of the electricians were assigned a building where it was their job to keep all the lamps burning we would spend the first three hours of our workday walking the mostly deserted hallways and public spaces, checking for the deceased lamps. We had lamps and ladders stocked and hidden away on every level of the hotel. That winter, I was assigned the main hotel. The main hotel was my favorite because it had all the beautiful terraces that looked out across the Broadmoor Lake with the awe-inspiring Cheyenne Mountain in the background. The main hotel had the history of 100 years of guests partying and playing throughout its historic ballrooms and terrace dining rooms. The main hotel also had the penthouse suite, where presidents and world leaders had spent the night looking out at the dark and steep mountain beyond. The hotel was built by a gold baron named Spencer Penrose, His beautiful wife, Julie Penrose, spent her final years living in the main hotel penthouse. She died in 1956, and the hotel converted her lavish three-bedroom, three-bathroom penthouse to the Penrose suite, which back then was $2,500 a night. Winters were slow at the hotel. The room occupation rate was typically at 20% or below during the cold winter months. That chilly, snowy morning, I was taking my time going from room to room, checking for the elusive, burned-out lamps. I always started with the main room at the front of the hotel, which included the front desk. It was always deserted at that time in the morning. In fact, it was unusual for me to see anyone in the public areas that early in the morning. One of the perks of working at the hotel was the large spread of morning-baked muffins and bear claws set out for the guests. The bear claws were the absolute best. Of course, we lowly maintenance workers were not to eat any of the baked goods, but this was before the advent of discreet cameras placed throughout the hotel. I could never pass a freshly-made bear claw, and besides who was hurt by this minor indiscretion anyway. My second stop that morning was the main terrace dining room. That was on the second level, looking out towards the lake. This was a huge dining area with glass chandeliers scattered throughout the room. A large set of heavy glass and oak doors separated the dining room from the upper main terrace common area. The room had 10-foot-high windows that spanned the whole lake side of the room. I went to turn on the chandeliers at the far back corner of the room. I had my back to the large doors that I had just used my master keys to enter, when suddenly I hear the doors reopen and then slowly shut again. I thought, what the hell, there's nobody there. I reach for my radio and call out over our channel if any one of our maintenance people are here on the second level of the main hotel with me, and I get total silence. I start to think I'm imagining the doors opening on their own, but no way. The large, old, dark room is starting to creep me out now. I continue to head straight for the set of switches that light up the whole room. I flick each of the half-dozen switches and nothing happens. The lights just don't turn on. Now I'm starting to think that somebody's messing with me. The electricians and the plumbers have been known to prank each other's shop. Innocent stuff like leaving a dead fish hidden in the plumber's shop area. So I call the plumbers out on my radio. Again, nothing. I start to head out towards the opposite side of the dining room towards the exit that leads to a stairway to the basement where the main electrical room is located. I figure I'm going to have to reset the circuit breaker. I walk along the large windows that face out towards the lake. It's darker outside than it is inside the dining room with the only light coming from the exit signs above both of the doorways. It's not a lot of light, but it's enough to create a reflection in the huge plate glass windows. I'm walking along slowly in front of the windows when something outside catches my attention. It looks like an older woman dressed in a large white gown. My immediate thought was, what the hell is this lady doing standing outside on a cold, dark, and snowing morning? And suddenly, it hits me. I'm not seeing her outside the windows. I'm seeing her reflection of her inside, behind me. I turn around and there's nobody there. I ran. I ran out of that room so fast that I hit two chairs, knocking them over and leaving a large bruise on my side. She was there, clear as day, standing not more than ten feet behind me. I could see her face and her white gown, and she looked sad. I worked at the hotel another two years, and I never saw her again. I was 34 years old when this happened to me, and my hair was dark brown. My wife has noticed my hair suddenly turning white. Within five years of that incident, my hair was completely white. And I don't know if that's related, but it still gives me chills to this very day. This story is from a few years back when I went to a cemetery with my mother and godmother. It's short, but it's good. I was walking around this cemetery taking photos and at one point I suddenly turn in a random direction and I see a man in a suit just walking down the path and he's emitting this glowing white light from everywhere on his body. He walks behind a tree and then vanishes an hour or so later when we were about to leave i see him again but this time he's heading up the path that leads to the front of the church where we were i watch as he walks behind a tree and disappears again i head over to the tree to investigate to see if he was there but he was gone to anyone reading or listening to this stay safe out there For a long time, my partner and I used to live in a shared accommodation. We've only just moved out and are incredibly relieved to be free of that nightmare. Our experience began a few months after we'd moved in. I woke up in the middle of the night to a look of fear in my partner's eyes, a look that I'd never seen before. Apparently, I'd been talking in my sleep, which isn't incredibly uncommon, but hadn't happened in a very long time i'd been talking to a man that was in our room apparently i dismissed this as a dream but i just didn't recall my partner thought otherwise however and honestly i wish i believed them straight away he would appear to me every night in my dreams tall and malnourished so tall that he had to bend his neck to the side and stoop just to fit into the room every single one of his bones were incredibly defined and visible and his arms were unnaturally long too long he had elongated fingers and gnarled feet wispy strands of hair and dark skin as if he'd been sat in the sun for centuries his hands and feet were much darker shades than the rest of his body though almost like he'd been digging through dirt the scariest feature he had, however, were his sickeningly bright yellow pupils. Unnaturally bright. The darkness would be so thick that you could barely discern any of his features. All of those except those piercing eyes, however. One night, I had gone downstairs to grab some ice cream. I came back up to see my partner cowering in the corner of the opposite end of the room. I hurried to their side and was told that they could hear someone running around downstairs and crashing into things. They thought somebody had broken in and assaulted me, then proceeded to run up the stairs and stand directly outside our room. I just note that whilst I was downstairs, I heard absolutely none of this commotion and had no knowledge of the situation that my partner thought they could hear. I believe them though, and I've never seen them so afraid. And they're a terrible liar, so I can always tell when they are. Another night, there was a really intense storm thunder, lightning, lashing rain, all of it. We were stood under cover, having a cigarette before bed, when a particularly bright fork of lightning went off above us, and for that split second that the sky was illuminated, he was there in front of us about 20 feet away, now stood up straight and still holding us in his gaze with those almost hypnotically bright pupils. Both of us saw him. Both of us were frozen in place and helpless. I remember my partner grabbing my arm, and I'll never forget this thing's face, expressionless, yet still full of malice his presence was overwhelming and we could do nothing but stand and stare as another lightning strike went off and revealed him to be much closer again he was only visible for that split second but that's all we needed to know that we were no longer safe too stubborn to leave we just ran to our room and tried to sleep i dream of him every night i know he plagues the thoughts of my partner as well A couple of days ago, while showing her around our new house, my niece looked up at me and asked, is that room for the tall man? I don't like him very much. He says horrid things about you and uncle. Now, I didn't answer any of her questions about the tall man. I didn't know how to. I do know that he's here now, though, and I just pray he doesn't hurt my partner or my niece. It all happened during November of 2017. I had just graduated and decided to sign up for my school's annual graduation trip to Johor in Singapore. At the time, me and my homies subscribed to very dumb content on YouTube, like the 3 a.m. challenges. I can't believe I used to think that J Station was legit. Anyway, when we arrived at the hotel at 10 p.m., Me and my homies that were assigned to the same room decided to push through the fatigue and stay up until midnight to go explore the floor, or in other words, go ghost hunting. The hotel had already sketched me out when I saw the ancient-looking lobby and witnessing the hotel workers warning us not to use the lifts. I had to climb to the 15th floor. Before the trip we already knew that this establishment had a dark history of homicidal cover-ups. For example, we heard rumors of somebody ending it on the 13th floor that caused the entire room to be sealed up. This is important information for later. Okay, so now it's midnight, and only me and another friend decided to split up to explore both pathways of the current floor. We wanted to go hang out in the lobby, too, but unfortunately it was pitch black down there unsurprisingly we saw nothing and proceeded back to our room for bedtime time would pass until 4 a.m when i got this strong urge to pee and was shivering so badly from the cold so i got up to relieve myself and right when i finished up and began to go back to sleep i hear three clear knocks on the front door I know this was a dumb move, but yes, I opened the door without looking at the peephole first at 4am. I swear, if that was someone with malicious intent and not some paranormal stuff, things would have turned out pretty bad. As expected, I didn't see anyone, so I just coerced myself, thinking that this was just me being tired and probably just half dreaming. Turns out, I was wrong. As I turned back, it started again, but this time, I looked through the peephole as my common sense started to return after realizing that stuff is about to go down. But again, I saw nothing. I retraced my steps back to the bed and tucked myself in while preparing mentally just to ignore the knocks. Another three knocks would arrive when I rested my head on the pillow. This time... I chose not to even give it a thought. The opposite happened. The knocks became louder and faster. They started to become bangs. It was at that moment I knew that what I've been hunting has started to play with its food. I tried waking my friends up, but to no prevail. These dudes managed to continue sleeping even while I was slapping them and when someone was trying to get into the room. I finally gained the courage and grabbed a chair nearby me. I proceeded to stand guard in front of the door. I would go on to pray while getting tormented by the being outside until I passed out at around 6 AM. The next morning, the whole squad was asking me if I sleepwalked and I tried explaining to them what happened, but they wouldn't believe me. this pissed me off for about half the day until my friends from another room called us over that night to game that night scarred me for life to this day i'm still tempted to return to the hotel but my gut tells me not to was it a ghost or my imagination was i drunk i guess i'll never know i would like to hear from other previous guests from the hotel though hmm Now that I'm home and safe, I'm beginning to process what just happened, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to sleep or not. I'm a 25-year-old female, and I had some friends from out of state come into town for the weekend, and we decided to go downtown for drinks. I drove separately because they were coming from an Airbnb. Around 2 a.m., we decided to leave, and my car was parked in a garage a block over from where my friends parked. I say my goodbyes and begin the short walk to the garage. As soon as I hit the corner, two large men begin walking behind me. I try to subtly put space between us, and they suddenly whistle loudly and shout, but I don't see anybody ahead of me. I don't acknowledge, but I do start walking faster. I pass an alley to my left, and there's another guy walking out of it towards me. At this point, I'm no longer subtly walking fast. I make it into the garage, and I parked by the entrance, so I quickly slip into my car, and I lock the doors. I turn around to look behind me, and I see the guys that were following me stop at the entrance of the garage and just watch my car. They talk for a minute before they spread out and stand across the entrance, blocking my exit. I don't move. I keep watching until other vehicles start coming in, forcing them to move. I take the opportunity to quickly pull out and floor it out of there. I could just be paranoid, but my instincts were telling me that something was up as soon as I saw them initially, and now I can't sleep. This writer did include an edit to include that she did report it to the police the next day. Good for her. I was in a toxic, borderline abusive friendship with a girl from the ages of 9 to 12. Here's some background information to give you a little understanding as to what my life was like back in the late 2000s and early 2010s. I grew up in a very tumultuous household, my parents hated each other, and my extended family, along with my immediate, were plagued by mental illness and drug addiction. So, needless to say, I was a very anxious child who was drawn to unstable people, and suffice it to say, they were drawn to me. I was a shy 11-year-old girl who, like many others before me, used the internet as a way to vent my frustrations and my anger about my home life. This was the time where AOL was the main source of communication between friends, and I was no stranger to this along with MySpace and Facebook. However, I wasn't like the typical preteens of this era, or so I thought. I kept my profiles private, I never accepted a follow or a friend request that I didn't know and never shared my location on these said profiles. This is the part where I introduce Tanya. Tanya isn't her real name, of course, I don't want to use her real name just in case she happens to read this thread or watches the YouTube channel or listens to the podcast, so we'll just call her Tanya. Tanya and I met in elementary school. One of the points in my life where my family situation was quite volatile and in retrospect, I think that she sensed this. I was vulnerable and Tanya took advantage of my innocence. She never really displayed any signs of her true intentions in the beginning, as they never usually do. She would do shady things every now and again, like manipulate me into begging my mom to stay on the computer until the wee hours of the morning... So we could go on not safe for work websites or ghost me when I didn't give her my favorite pen or even yell at me when I couldn't nail a guitar solo on Guitar Hero. She did some other things to me that I believe my brain blocked out due to trauma. My mom didn't like her very much either. Parents always have a weird intuition when it comes to friends and I wish to God that I would have listened to my mom before Tanya did what she did to me. Tanya's behavior changed for the worse when we turned 11. Tanya was openly jealous of my success in school. Granted, she was incredibly smart herself, but she always made it a point to mock me for having great grades and would always comment that since I wasn't pretty enough, having good grades would be a nice balance. Nice, right? Well, it took me a while to build my self-esteem up after all of the snide remarks that she would make about my weight and my face, and now, only as a 22-year-old, I do think that I'm beautiful, and I have a wonderful figure. Anyways, back to Tanya. As a result of her jealousy and growing resentment towards me, she began to plot my downfall. And I'm not exaggerating, either. This girl literally tried to ruin my self-worth even more than she already had. It started in the sixth grade. Tanya and I were remarkably close that year, and I wanted to do everything with her. We would talk all day in school, and we would chat all night on AIM. On one particular evening, Tanya and I were talking about boys, being that we were hormonal preteens, our conversations would usually turn into who we liked in school that day. Being that I had a horrible relationship with my father, I didn't really trust boys, even from an early age, so it was rare if I developed a crush on one. I remember Tani and I's conversation going a little something like this. She says, Do you know Mark? I say, The kid in my class? Yeah. Why? She says, I heard he likes you. I said, What? No way. She says, Totally. He told me. You want me to talk to him and give him your username? I said, Yes, of course. Oh my God. Thank you, Tanya. My heart starts racing. A boy actually likes me? Impossible. When Tanya told me that she would give Mark my username for AIM, I nearly exploded in my seat. 11-year-old me couldn't believe I was going to have my first real boyfriend. How wrong I was. Fast forward to the next night. I was getting ready for bed when I heard the famous AOL ding sound off on my iPod Touch. You know the sound I'm talking about. When I checked the notification, it was a message from MarkyBoy99. I don't remember his username, so we'll just go with something like that. I turned red. Tanya had really talked to Mark and gave him my username. She was truly the best. He messaged me with the usual, hey, emphasis on the three Y's, and I responded, hey. I didn't want to come off as desperate, so I only used one Y. Not even one minute later, he messaged me back. We talked all night about everything our days, how school was, what type of silly bands we liked. Typical 11-year-old stuff. I have to admit, I was smitten right off the bat. I think it was partly because I never really had a boy like me before, and the other part being that my self-esteem was so low that I never thought a boy would be capable of liking me. Also, it could have been because Mark was one of the most popular boys in school at that time. He played football, was mouthy to the teachers, and was extremely outgoing all the things a young girl would be attracted to. We talked for months, my puppy love growing for him more and more every time we chatted. Of course, I never spoke to him on the phone, nor did I ever get his phone number, because why would you do that, right? All the while I was speaking to him, Tanya would be gassing me up, telling me how proud she was of me, and that I deserved a boyfriend my suspicions of mark only began to grow when i attempted to approach him during school hours again i had anxiety so i would never really speak to mark outside of aim when i went to talk to him mark looked confused as if he's never had a conversation with me before in his life he turned away from me on the playground and walked to be with his other friends huh weird this wasn't like him He was usually so chatty with me online that I expected him to welcome me with open arms in person. My ego was bruised. My little 11-year-old mind tried to rationalize this behavior by chalking it up to him not wanting to talk to the nerd since he was so popular and he just preferred to keep our relationship online. I told Tanya the news and she seemed to be genuinely heartbroken for me. She was just as angry as I was and vowed to confront Mark later that day during music class. This made me happy. Tanya had my back and as far as I knew, she was going to tell Mark off about him being a total jerk to me. Well, it worked. Later that night, I got a message from Mark telling me how sorry he was for ignoring me and that he was just going through some family things. Back in love, I was. I didn't care that Mark ignored me during school. I didn't care that he rejected my advances in person. As long as I had him to talk to online and Tanya support, I was fine. I even told my mom about him and she was extremely happy for me as well. Another month passed and it was now March 31st, 2011. Mark messaged me and told me that he had something very important to tell me the next day the anxiety begins again. What was it? What did he have to tell me? At that point, I considered myself and Mark to be dating, so I was anxious that he was either going to break it off with me or he was going to make us public in school the next day. I told my mom and Tanya, almost on the verge of tears with how excited and nervous I was. Well, the next day, april 1st 2011 rolled around and this is what followed it was around 7 p.m and i was on club penguin as i usually was until i heard a familiar ding it was mark it was time for the news i'd been waiting for all day mark says hey babe with a winky face i said oh my gosh hey with two eyes this time i've been waiting for you to chat me all night Mark says, Sorry babe, I was at practice. Frowny face, are you ready for the news? I was shaking with anticipation at this point. Even writing this now, a whole swell of emotions are resurfacing. I say yes, of course. It was then that Mark sent me a picture. I opened it, but only it wasn't Mark. It was Tanya, and she was holding a handwritten sign that said, Happy April Fool's Day. At first, I started laughing, and I mean it was an ugly laugh. Of course it was a prank. Tanya had gotten me good, right? Right? Well, wrong. It was then, when the realization hit me, that I started to sob. I felt betrayed, and I felt like a loser. Tanya had been behind Mark all along, and she had been planning this big joke since October of 2010. She had been so jealous that she pretended to be someone else and string along my emotions when she knew I was already in a rough place mentally. She told me I was stupid to even think that Mark would even like me in the first place and that I was dumb for not asking for his number. Tanya had been at this for six months. An 11 year old girl plotted Mark, used him to make me think that a boy liked me and tricked me into believing that I had a boyfriend. All while telling me when we hung out that she was happy for me and that Mark and I were a cute couple. I told my mom, who then called Tanya's mom. My mother was livid, to say the least. She told Tanya's mom to tell her daughter never to speak to me again. I was crushed. My best friend of three years had catfished me simply because she wanted to play a joke. I was loyal to her and she toyed with my emotions because she could. Tonya had tried multiple times to guilt trip me into being her friend again in the months that followed leading into 7th grade. One of the more memorable and honestly messed up times being when she messaged me a few days after my birthday in August to tell me that her mother had just died in a horrible car crash. Her body was dismembered and they could only find her head and wedding ring as anyone would be, I was in tears. Tanya's mother was nothing but lovely to me, and learning that she died in such a violent way crushed my soul. I started talking to Tanya again, asking her when her mother's funeral would be. Tanya then revealed to me, seconds later after speaking to her about the grisly details over her mother's passing, that she was just kidding and was pranking me again and that I was stupid to still believe her. She even sent a video of her laughing at me. I was disgusted. Who would even say something like that? What 12-year-old would message someone that their mother was dismembered in a car crash? She then revealed her ugly and, quite frankly, evil intentions when we were at the beginning of 7th grade, and she became friends with a girl named Kaylee. They both invited me to sit with them at their lunch table, and because I was desperate for friends... I stupidly accepted, only to be met with hordes of insults and laughter behind my back every chance that I wasn't looking. Tanya then messaged me one night, telling me that I should just off myself and the world would be a much better place without me in it. She had Kaylee tell me to go jump off a bridge. Tanya told me that she hated me and was never really my friend to begin with, that I deserved all of the pain that she put me through the year prior. I again told my mom, who then called the police. She had had enough of Tanya, and so had I. For four years, I had to put up with Tanya's malicious behavior, and I just couldn't handle it anymore. My mom made me delete my AIM account, and Tanya's mom told her to never contact me again or else. My mom also advised me to move lunch tables, but I was hell-bent on not letting Tanya win. For the entirety of 7th grade, I sat at the same table as Tanya, only I spoke to my friends at the other side of the table. I never spoke to her, looked at her, or gave her any sort of attention. Kaylee was scared to death of me afterward too, as the police had gotten in contact with her family as well. It's been 10 years and I still haven't spoken to Tanya. I am now 22 years old, have two bachelor's degrees, one in psychology and the other in history, and I am now working towards my master's in clinical social work. Tanya did do other things to me too that I could write a whole other story about, but I think writing this one helped me give closure on the part of my childhood that scarred me for years. I thank God for my mom stepping in when she did because I don't know where I'd be without her. As for Tanya... I don't know where she is or what she's doing, and I'd really rather not. On the off chance that she stumbles upon this story, I have a message for her. Your jealousy and wishes for death upon me did not win, and I truly hope that karma does not come around one day to bite you in the ass. Tanya, let's never meet again. so, back in 2017, my girlfriend and I were in a semi-long-distance relationship. I lived in the Orlando area and she lived in Tampa. I would frequently travel via Megabus to Tampa to see her for concerts. Shortly after this experience, I switched exclusively to Amtrak and I didn't regret having to pay a bit more. On this day, however, I had picked up Wendy's before the trip for dinner and made my way to the boarding area. I noticed a disheveled older man glaring at me, openly. I didn't acknowledge him and instead boarded the bus. I sat near the back door of the bus, placed my lone backpack on the seat next to me, and opened my food. As I was eating, I noticed that the same man who'd been glaring had boarded and sat across the aisle from me. And the seat closest to the aisle same as me we had about two feet of separation well the bus takes off and we're soon on the interstate headed west every time i take a bite of my food he would grumble then he started raising his voice a bit and motioning to me then he started near shouting and pointing at my wrapper i had my headphones in and i was comfortably ignoring him by this point I had worked a full shift that day, had headed home, showered, changed, grabbed and packed my bag and headed out, so I was tired and hungry. As I finished my food, I balled up the wrappers and tossed them back into the bag, and he became irate, shrieking in Spanish, and he reached over to me, grabbing the bag and looking inside. When he saw it was empty, he began screaming at me, and I bluntly told him to shut the frick up. It was my food. He went silent for a bit until I saw him rummaging in his bag. He then slipped a hatchet out of the bag, laid it across his lap, and smirked at me. My blood ran cold. I'm a big guy, I'm six three three hundred pounds, but in that small of a space and dealing with a weapon wielding maniac, I knew I couldn't do anything. I immediately stood up, I walked to the driver, and I told him what had happened. The next stop was Lakeland and we were still about 45 minutes away, which was the only way he could do something. I went back to my seat, I grabbed my backpack and fled to the upper level, sitting close to the window at the far back. When we got to Lakeland, I saw him get approached and then escorted off the bus. As he stepped off, he stumbled and fell, which is when I realized he was also drunk as a skunk. I'm glad that he didn't get the opportunity to hurt anyone on that bus, and I can only hope he was detained after or separated from his weapon. This happened yesterday, and the more I think about it, the more it freaks me out. I live in the biggest city in my state, and this was when I was walking home from the convenience store. I'm a 20-year-old female, and I made the choice to walk to the local store to get some cleaning supplies around dusk, anticipating that I would get back around 10 minutes after the sun set for the night for good. As I was walking home, a man stops me on the street and he asks me, Miss, do you know where this street is? As a general rule of thumb, I try to avoid giving directions to men when I'm alone and Case it means they have to walk in the same direction as me. So I said, No, sorry, and I continued walking. He calls after me and he says, Hey, well, what about this other location in my city? I'm being vague in my story. I hope you understand. He adds that he's new in town and that he could really use some help. But here's where it starts going wrong I let it show on my face that I knew where he was meant to be going and he took three steps towards me and asked again. I was kind of freaked out, so I said, that street is on the opposite direction, and they close in ten minutes. He chuckles and says, I know, I gotta hustle, I guess. I'll walk with you. That statement threw me off, because if you don't know anything about the store, how do you know either of these things? We walk for about 10 minutes, while he asks me questions about my relationship status, what I do for work. I do have a non-traditional source of income, and he asks me what kind of drugs I do. We then stop on the corner of my street. He tells me he lives on this corner building, and that he's willing to give me some smack for free, and he wanted to pay for a monthly subscription to my services. He invites me inside no less than 15 times, repeating, Miss, stop acting scared. I'm not a murderer or a rapist, so there's nothing to worry about. I told him I'd be waiting outside, scared to leave in case he saw which direction I walked to get to my house. He kept telling me, There are cameras right there. Nothing's going to happen if you come in. He continues to tell me that I'm not a rapist. I just think you're gorgeous. gorgeous and even tries to grab my arm to start pulling me into his building. I told him that I would get his number and text him before walking home, 15 minutes longer because I took a detour in case he followed me. I don't know what he wanted from me for real, but I'm glad I wasn't naive enough to find out. For the last week and a half, I've been noticing little things happening, but now it's starting to get to me. It started with watching videos or TV. I'll be watching with no buffering and strong Wi-Fi signals, you get it, and then whatever has been said on whatever I'm watching will repeat itself with no issue and then carry on. For example, I was watching a video and the girl on the video said, I don't know what's going on, but I don't like it. She took a deep breath and then said the exact same thing again, word for word, exactly as she had just did. When this first happened, I thought nothing of it, but then it started happening on my phone, too. I started rewinding videos or restarting movies to see if it was uploaded that way accidentally, but they were all normal. I tried to brush it off, but a couple of days ago, it started happening while I was talking to people. I would be talking to someone, and then they would repeat what they said exactly the same as if they didn't just say it. At first, I would try to logic my way out of this weird occurrence happening while watching YouTube or Netflix, but now I don't know how to logic my way out of people speaking to me face to face. When I ask them why they said it again, they're adamant that they didn't. I've asked the people that I live with if they've been experiencing this too, but nobody has i've started mouthing the end of sentences when it happens and the people that i'm talking to just look at me like i'm absolutely crazy but to me they literally just said and did the exact same thing only moments ago and i have no idea what's going on i randomly have these thoughts like wait I've seen me being in this situation before, or I've seen this already. It sounds like deja vu, but trust me, it isn't. It's sort of like deja vu, but I know what follows the moment I get the thought. Alright, so here's the story, and it's a very short one at that. So, I'm riding my bike to check up on my brother playing outside with the neighbor's kid. I get there, and I see that everything's fine. I turn around on my bike and I start cycling. Before I turn right, however, as I usually do, a thought instantly appears in my mind. Wait, I've seen this before. Stop your bike. And a car flies by me. You won't guess what car drove by. The exact car that I expected. A big, black Volvo SUV. After it drove past me, I was confused and processing what the heck had just happened. And that's the time that my deja vu literally saved my bones. And this is not the first time that this has happened to me either. Now, I've had a few glitches in the Matrix happen to me, so I must be getting close to escaping the Matrix. For example, here's something weird. I have a key hook that is second nature to hang my keys upon as soon as I get home from work. I work in pest control and this will come up again. They're always in the same spot, three hooks from the left. I'm a creature of habit and I never falter from this. On my way out to work, I go to grab my keys and they're not there. In a slight panic, I check the pockets of my pants and jacket and there's nothing. I tear through the whole house looking for my keys, even double-checking the key hook several times in case I had what my wife calls husband brain This is where things are right in front of me, and I still don't see it. But still, I don't see them. I call my wife, who says that she's not seen my keys, but maybe I left them out in the car that morning when I went to the gym. I was lucky enough to be able to use my mother-in-law's vehicle to go check my wife's van to find my keys. And on my way out the door, I look over, and there are my keys, hanging there. And my keys are the only thing on that key hook. Confused, I head out to work, and things begin to get even weirder from here. Some additional backstory is that being in pest control, we're in charge of all client relations, and this includes clients canceling service. A few months back, I had a client that had canceled service and didn't want preventative services, so I canceled her out and I thanked her for being an awesome client. She even gave me a thank you card. I put a note in the account of the cancellation. The following month, I noticed that she was back on my schedule. Thinking that this is odd, I go to do the client's house, confused. Maybe she decided not to cancel after all, I recall thinking to myself. As I pulled up, I spoke with the client about how I was excited that they had decided to stay with us and that I would start preparing for the upcoming ant season. Now she was confused, and she said that she didn't cancel the service. And I thought, okay, maybe I'm mistaken, so I treated the house as normal when done i looked in my sun visor where i keep all of my thank you cards and hers was gone i guess it was just a weird dream fast forward 30 something days i wake up and i can't find my keys again i go through the whole rigmarole of looking everywhere and of course they're back in the first place that i look so off to work i go the first stop that i make is the same client's house I pull up and I wave and the client now looks confused. She says, I thought I canceled the service. I said, I thought so too, but when I saw you last month, you said that you didn't. I looked back at previous services and there was not a service done last month and the cancellation note was not in there. I get in my truck and now I'm driving away confused. I again look in the sun visor and again, I see no thank you card that she had given me. I know it all sounds weird and some may be thinking that it's the, uh, chemicals that I use, but I'm a big advocate on using personal protective equipment and I'm even on the safety committee and I push PPE heavily. All I can think is that that was a glitch in the matrix or some weird parallel universe shift. What do you think? recently i was at my aunt's house alone to use her pool i was in the kitchen pulled out a glass cup from the cabinet and a spider jumped out at me i dropped the cup and glass flew everywhere i was barefoot so i ran upstairs to grab a pair of shoes to clean up first i went into her guest room she used to keep most of her shoes in there i opened up the door and the bed was gone I could see the outlines of where the bed used to be, you know, indented into the carpet. I closed the door and remember thinking, where the hell did it go, and why did she get rid of it? Did she sell it? Why didn't she tell anyone about it or ask my boyfriend for help moving it? I thought it was weird. At the same time, my aunt had talked about wanting to move in the past, so I thought maybe she just sold it in very early preparation. I also thought maybe she was turning that room into something else. I had it in my head that I was going to text her and ask her as soon as I got back outside where my phone was. It took way longer than expected to pick up all of the glass. I was cleaning for at least 30 minutes. When I was done, I tried going back outside and her cat tried to escape out the back door, so I basically had to tackle him to get him back inside. After all that... I completely forgot about the bed being gone. It wasn't until a few weeks later when I was over at her house again. I asked her what she did with her guest bed and she had no idea what I was talking about and said that the bed was still there. I walked upstairs and, yep, the bed was exactly where it used to be. No idea what happened that day. and I was completely sober too. Hmm. I was on a long drive with my boyfriend down a long straight highway, perfectly clear blue sky, just a couple of wispy clouds in the air. I saw a plane flying and then suddenly disappear. And no, it didn't just get further away and out of sight or go behind a cloud. It was flying in a straight line, fairly low and close enough to be very visible, and it just disappeared. The best way I can describe it was if you were watching a play with the sky painted on a backdrop, and instead of someone going in front of the backdrop, they walked behind it and disappeared from sight. It was literally like the plane flew behind a wall in the sky and disappeared. I freaked out and I told my boyfriend to keep an eye on the sky in case it happened again because I wanted him to confirm what I had just seen. Well. Lo and behold, another plane did the exact same thing, and then another. At this point, we were wondering if it was the same planes reappearing from behind the wall because we saw this happen to maybe four or five different planes altogether. Now, I don't know crap about air traffic control, but I can't imagine there being that many planes so close together flying in different directions and then just disappearing completely as if they disappeared, reappeared, and then disappeared again. There were no clouds in the way, and there was no logical explanation at all for it, and I've never seen anything like it before or since. Anyone ever seen anything like this before? I'll preface this with a little personal background, I was an all-state vocalist in New York and have done national and international competitions in NYC, Cincinnati, Toronto, DC, etc. That was a bit over 10 years ago and I've been using my voice for recreational singing daily ever since. But I've been sick with recurring pancreatitis for around 6 months now and this is when things started getting a lot more strange for me. I was in the hospital first for five days, and then I was okay for three months before my next round with the beast. The second time, in early February, I was admitted due to extreme pain and not being able to keep water down. Things were very askew because I was being pumped full of drugs for the pain, since that's all they can really do. 11 out of 10 pain for sure. Anyway... After five days in the hospital this time, I wasn't feeling well when I got home. I was heavy into withdrawal and was not okay for about five more days. I got better though and when I did, I didn't notice anything odd. I was going back to work and on my first day back was struck again with the same pain. I knew it was starting over again and I ended up back in the hospital for four more days. Now, that was three attacks in as many months. My whole life has changed my diet, my attitude, etc., due to needing to adjust for my condition. But things started to stick out for me that were different. Now, most notably, my voice has gotten deeper. It seems weird, and it wouldn't be too noticeable if you weren't me, but being so intimately in tune with my voice through my whole life, I could tell the next morning when I woke up from my last stay. Before that, I was on pain medication that were sickeningly strong constantly. The doctor said to me, sort of jokingly, I guess, that the nurses here had a tendency to stop people's breathing. I'm pretty sure it's because they're liberal with dosing regardless. Second, my best friend of 28 years called back to something that I don't remember. Three times so far. And then I have one memory that he doesn't have. Third, before I went in the first time, during a work meeting we were told about how the unpaid time off we got would be changing. Two months after the first happening in January, I needed to take two hours off one of the days and needed to let the boss know so he could adjust the PTO according to the new policy. He said he didn't know what I meant and that, no, I wouldn't lose a whole day for taking the time off. We got three days where if we missed any time, it would count as one of those days and you could just stay home at that point. But it was only for three for the year and as the first one of the year. I asked him what he meant and recalled the meeting and he had no recollection of the policy or the meeting. I've asked the only co-worker I work with directly and he doesn't seem to remember either. So that's it so far, but I'll keep everyone updated if anything else comes up. My friend and I are still trying to process exactly what we saw the other day. We've talked it through countless times trying to logically figure out how this was possible. Hopefully, someone on here can give us some thoughts and ideas as to what actually happened. So I recently purchased a small bass boat and my first mate, Le Gove, and I have been super eager to explore the lake and its islands as well as learn the fishing around it. We're new to Tennessee. Yesterday was the 4th of July and we decided to go fishing in this very secluded part of the lake that we named No Man's Land because of the low-hanging bridge that prevents boaters from entering the section. My boat can make it underneath because of how small it is, but I've never seen another boat in there. We decided to go deeper into the cove than we ever have before. As we're slowly trawling down the lake, the path before us splits into three forks and I ask which fork we should take. Le Gove immediately says the middle one. So we continued straight as the water changes from a large lake to a narrow river-like path. This is where a chain of events happened in quick succession, and we've talked through it after the fact to try and recall the order of how this went down. First, we heard a weird vocal-like noise coming from the woods beyond the shoreline and we both tensed up and felt very uneasy what was that lagov asked a dog i said as that was the first thing that came to my mind i don't think that was a dog he answered immediately then we saw a bird high above us perching on a branch staring at us maybe it was that bird he said i said yeah maybe i'm not sure when it got into my hand but At some point, I drew my pistol and held it down at my side. Lagov held the fishing bow. We both had very weird feelings as we drifted down the river, eyes glued to the bank. We came to a rotting pine tree that had fallen and was now half-submerged in the water, sitting on the shoreline. And then this happened. We hear a very loud, heavy-footed animal running through the woods, getting closer to the water. At first, I thought it was a deer, as it was almost prancing, but as it got closer and louder, we realized it was, in fact, not a deer. It was a very large, jet-black canine. My brain thought, oh, it must be a coyote, but this was much bigger, like a huge German shepherd, and it was fast, like a black shadow leaping through the trees and quickly approaching the bank that we were floating across from. It didn't seem to have any texture or details, though, almost like it was flat and blurry. We couldn't see fur or its face and eyes, just the outline of its body and tall, wolf-like ears, but it was obviously the body of a canine. Adrenaline started rushing through us, and my brain raced, thinking that we were about to have to defend ourselves from this thing. It almost looked as if it were charging at us, but it was zigzagging and dodging through the trees toward the exact portion of the shoreline that we were floating past. We were scared, but the 15 feet of water between our boat and the shoreline gave us some confidence. It would have to swim out to us, and I didn't see that as very likely. It continued its leaping through the woods and quickly reached our portion of the shoreline. In one majestic, fluid motion, it leapt off the shore and dove into the water right under the half-submerged pine tree in front of us. Stomp, 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 splash. That was it. We held our breath as we waited to hear it swim or move towards us. Small ripples reached our boat from the splash and... After the fact, my first mate, Logov, swears the splash should have been much bigger for a creature of that size. Watch for it to come back up, I whispered to him. I had never heard of canines being able to submerge themselves underwater, but here it was, happening right in front of our eyes. We waited. Nothing happened. Just the subtle sound of the ripples it made slowly dissipating. We waited about 20 more seconds and still nothing. It was almost as if the entire forest had shut off. It was that quiet. Our eyes were glued to the fallen pine tree that it dove under. Maybe it's just standing in the water under the tree, Lagov says. We get the courage to troll the boat a little closer to inspect the tree, but there's nothing. There's no signs of anything. At this point, we're both in complete shock were stunned at how it was just able to disappear like that how could it be gone how does something that big just vanish especially a huge creature like that after 30 more seconds of silence legov breaks it with you you saw what i saw right a shiver flashes down my spine i replied with yeah i saw all of it really though what the frick was that legov said I replied, "I I think we saw a demon," and we both just nervously laughed. We stayed floating near the shoreline in shock for at least another 10 minutes, hoping for a sign that we weren't crazy. Lagov scoured the waters looking to see if it would come up for air, and it never did. How the hell could a big, black wolf-like creature disappear into thin air or water for that matter? Being skeptics, There has to be a logical explanation to what we saw, but we can't find one. If it had just splashed the water and gotten out again, one, we would have seen it walk away in whatever direction, and two, we would have heard it as anything putting weight on the leaves makes a loud noise out here. But it was just silence. The loudest of silences. We live in middle Tennessee, if that helps at all, and we're still a little shaken up by this. Any insight to this would be much appreciated. Thank you. When I was 15 years old, we moved from a suburban Long Island town to a quaint little town on the South Fork just shy of the Hamptons. My father had purchased the nearly three-acre plot a couple of years prior with no intention of building right away. Then... One day he announced to my mother, we have to build the house and we have to build it now. He didn't give her a reason that I know of and she never asked. My father had spooky, accurate intuition and she knew it. The month after the house was completed, the prices of building supplies doubled and there would have been no way he could have afforded to build it then. Disaster averted. It was fun watching the house being built. My father found some plans that he liked and just drove around the area until he saw someone building a house that he liked and said, I have a house I want you to build. That's pretty much how all the work got done. When they were digging up for the foundation, we found a few arrowheads and other Native American artifacts. This entire area was inhabited by Indians at one time, and many of the towns have Indian names, including ours. Our neighbors had several kids, and two of them were the ages of my brother and I, so we formed a friendship, and they introduced us around the town. I was showing my newfound friends the arrowheads that I found, and one of them said, You know, there's supposed to be an ancient Indian burial ground on your property, and I just rolled my eyes. We would come out every weekend as the house was being built in the summer and camp out in the house once it had a roof. My father was an arborist, and he was insistent that not one tree be taken down on the property. The house placement was designed around the trees, and heavy brush was all that was removed. My newfound friends would all meet up in town, which meant a 20-minute walk from the streets. I chose to take the shortcut by cutting through all the farm fields that bordered the west side of our property. Some of the fields were large and massive, but the ones by our home were smaller, boarded-up patches of woods. There was only one place that was open with a path that led to my home, and at night, I knew how to find it, coming back from town by looking for the change of size in the top of the tree lines. It was desolate and a bit creepy, but I could get home in five minutes, so that was the route I always took. It started immediately. On the way to town, the farm fields were fine, but it was daylight. On the way home, the entire area changed. I not only felt like I was being watched, I felt like I was being followed. My dad wasn't the only one with gifts. The entire family had them. It's not something we really talked about unless something happened, or as kids got older and developed new gifts, it would be mentioned very matter-of-fact. I had a lot of gifts, actually. They came and went, and they morphed my whole life. Since we never compared notes on our gifts, I never knew if I had more or the same as everyone else. I don't see dead people, but I can sense energies, all kinds of energies. That was one gift that never changed or went away for me. The only thing I knew for sure was that whatever was following me was not a good energy. My heart pounded the entire run home and I always ran. There was also a spot on the property that froze me in fear. It was on the east end of the property. The way my father landscaped, he kept everything very natural looking. Mostly wood chip paths between rhododendrons, and then it led to the small clearing. He never did anything to that area. We never hung out back there, and nothing grew in that area either. When I got near it, there was just a feeling of like, don't mess with me. I felt that if I stayed away from the area, I would be fine, and I was. Fast forward many decades, and I'm now a mother of two living in the next town. My children grew up on that property, explored the farm fields, and was always home by dark. After my divorce, my father was ill and wheelchair-bound, and I sold my house and moved in with them to help mom. After he died, all the kids were grown and I stayed to be with my mom, who was my best friend. When she died, I bought the house. Now I was a grandmother, or Bubby, as was my title. I was given the gift of my grandson every Friday and Saturday nights since birth. It gave my daughter and sister-in-law some much-needed rest and a date night. At 18 months old, my grandson, Zach, was walking, but not so confidently one day i was about five feet away from him watching him walk toward me when he suddenly was pushed from behind on his knees now he looked behind him looked confused and then got back up another step toward me and he was pushed again this time he looked scared and again looked behind him only to find nothing it happened a third time causing him to cry i picked him up and i took him away from that area when my daughter came to pick him up, I commented that Zach may have some significant gifts. Entities love youngsters with gifts. Their energy is like junk food for them. My daughter just rolled her eyes. My dog has been by Zach's side from the moment he gets here until the moment he leaves. He's never more than a few feet away and Zach loves him so much. I did, however, start to notice that Zach would not go into his playroom or his bedroom unless the dog was with him, and if by chance he wasn't with him, he would call his name before going to the back of the house. More than a few times, he would come running to me looking scared, but never said why. I would always check the rooms and saw and felt nothing. Then, when Zach was about three, musical toys would turn on in the middle of the night from the playroom and Zach begged me to sleep in my room. When I asked why, he said he just wanted to be with me. I had recently had a dream that was so bizarre, I recorded the details because I never remember them later. And there was a man who I didn't know in Zach's bedroom. I really didn't get a bad energy from him, but I didn't like that he was in the room with Zach. From then on, Zach slept in my room. I asked for guidance in a dream to know what I was dealing with. That night, I dreamt about two older teenage girls, all dressed in black and looking rather goth in style. They were sitting cross-legged, levitating with their heads, nearly touching the ceiling and the most notable part of the dream is that they were afraid of me. Really afraid of me. So the next time something happened in the playroom that scared Zach, I went back there and told them, in my most pissed-off growl that if they didn't leave him alone, I would end them. And they did. Then, when Zach was four years old, he came running from the playroom with a look of terror that I had never seen before or since. Bubby, I saw a ghost. Okay, Zach, I said in my most calming voice to settle him down. What color was the ghost? Over the years, I had seen plenty of white gray and black figures or masses and started to learn just a bit of which ones to be the most concerned of but his answer threw me for a loop brown he replied was it male or female i asked it was a man he said was he old like me young like you or daddy's age i asked he was like daddy he replied i asked what the ghost was wearing and again his answer threw me. Underwear, he said. It really made no sense to me and then I had a thought. Zach, what color was his hair? Zach said it was black and then I asked, was it long or was it short? And then Zach replied, long. So I asked, was he happy or was he angry? And with the look of fear that you never want to see on a child's face, he replied very slowly, he was really angry. Angry, Bubby. My grandson had just seen the spirit of an Indian, a very mad Indian. Right then, that feeling of dread I got from the back of the property kicked in. I remembered that earlier that day, Zach had been exploring on that property. The dog that guarded him from birth had died of old age and was replaced by a rescue, an Argentinian Mastiff, who gladly served as his replacement. If Zack was outside and needed to pee, we were very isolated from the neighbors, so I would let him pee in the bushes. Did he urinate in that area that I was told not to mess with? Did he do something to disrespect that area? I explained to him that maybe the Indian wasn't mad at him. Maybe something else made him that mad, and he was just trying to tell him. I told him that maybe he's guarding something in the back of the property and that he should always be respectful of that area when he's back there. No peeing back there. Don't drop any garbage back there from your snacks either. Be respectful. I told my daughter about the Indian ghost, and again she rolls her eyes at me. I didn't tell her about the legend, which before that moment I never believed. I never told her about the area that creeped me out when I was younger. I never told anyone. We just didn't really talk about such things. Not that it was taboo, but unless it caused a problem or created an answer, there's no sense in bringing it up. There were no more visits from the Indian. Zach only walked around the border of the property on that area to see our new neighbor's farm animals. I noticed the dogs I'd say dogs because I added a second rescue. They would also only walk around the area bordering that clearing and they would never walk on it. I rarely went back there and during spring cleanup, the crew getting rid of the mounds of leaves would just blow them in that direction. Knowing that I never disturbed the area, and since nothing grew there except the trees, the leaves were a welcome mulch, keeping the area from getting any new growth. I had two acres of the property surrounded by an electronic fence to keep the dogs on the property. One day I came home to hear the alarm alerting me that the fence was not working. I called the company that installed the fence and a technician comes out to discover where the problem was. It turned out that in the area of the clearing, another neighbor who borders the property had recently sold and the new owners were surveying the property and the surveyors had hammered a stake in the ground on my property and had snapped the wire. I saw the new stake placed in the spot where it should have been and was quite annoyed because the hole from their stake was clearly visible and... They knew they had snapped the line, and the line was on my property. So, after the fence was repaired and I paid the tech, I went back to the area to take some pictures. I planned on sending the company a bill for repairs. Taking pictures from my cell phone from various angles, I started stepping backwards, and I found that the leg I had moved behind me while backing up was sinking into the ground. Now, years of leaves were on that area, and as a result... Of course, the ground is soft, but this was beyond a sinking feeling. It felt as if my leg was being sucked up. I turned around to realize that I was now standing in that don't mess with me area, and I was terrified. What seemed like 30 minutes and was probably more like 30 seconds, I struggled to free my leg and then hightailed it out of there. Zach is now nine years old, and... I'm thinking of retirement and that there is too much wrong with New York to be able to live out my retirement comfortably. I decide to sell the house as the market is hot and I live in a very desirable area. Even now, Zach will not go to the back of the house alone without the dogs, but he tells me he hasn't seen a ghost in the house in years. He says he doesn't remember the Indian, but since that was the only ghost I'm aware he's ever seen, I think otherwise. Pictures are taken of the property, the house is listed, and I start looking for a big house in Florida, where my daughter wants to relocate. I'm planning on moving all of us down there and retiring. A month later, the house is on multiple listing, the price is reasonable, and other than a few families that came to the open house when we first listed, we've had no interest at all. Nearly 2,000 views on Redfin alone, but no interest. I know of a psychic that I trust, so I ask her about it. and She tells me there's a spirit on the property that doesn't want me to leave, and I'm thinking it's that Native American ghost. Zach is getting at an age where his gifts might be coming online. He's finally admitting to me that he's seen another ghost, a boy who comes to him every year and hangs out with him talking about video games. He calls him Daniel and says that this year, his hair was blue. I know that he watches a YouTuber with blue hair that goes by the same name, and I ask him if that's who he's talking about, and he says no, but that Daniel seems to be aging along with Zach every year. This year, he talked about VR with Zach and how he's never played VR, but would like to. It just wasn't around then. The psychic stated that the spirit was doing something not only to give people an off sensation about the property, but it even affected the photos online. She suggested a cleansing of the home and the property. If Zach's gifts are coming online, a cleansing might be a good idea for him as well. I knew of someone I trusted, and she lived upstate but could do it remotely, so I called her. I was mostly concerned about the Indian. I didn't want to kick him off the property if he was truly guarding a holy burial ground and i wanted to know if she could connect with him i wanted to let him know that if he allowed me to sell the property that i would ensure the new owners were aware of the legend and would respect that area and not disturb it and what she said gave me chills i can she said the question is should i if he's guarding something holy It's not a problem, but if he's guarding something dark, it could make things worse, a lot worse. She explained a cleansing would only remove negative energies from the property, so if there was anything negative, the Indian would not be disturbed. I agreed to go ahead with the cleansing without trying to connect with him. She had done work for me before, and usually within hours, I get a report and a breakdown of whatever had been done, So when I didn't hear from her, I got a bit worried. Two days later, I saw that she had tried to call, but I was working and couldn't answer the phone. She left me a voice recording on Messenger, which she had never done before, and the message was as follows. I found six spirits on the property, two portals and one very large negative vortex. I'm told that the Indians were involved in a battle, Although, I don't know when, they were not very good on time. An elder opened the vortex to frighten away the enemies, and it worked, somewhat. But when they tried to close the vortex, they couldn't. To protect others from the harm of the vortex, five young Indian males sacrificed themselves and were buried in a circle around the vortex. They've been guarding it ever since. I have sealed the vortex, and the five spirits were happy to return to their tribe. The sixth spirit is that of a man, a nice guy who lived nearby. When his home was demolished, he entered your home and has been protecting it ever since. He said he would like to stay if you would allow him. He said he'll also take on the responsibility of now protecting the property as best as he can. What a story. What history. The legend was true after all but so much more. I had to tell somebody. My daughter was on vacation with the family, so I called my brother. He's a retired cop who's very skeptical of the paranormal, which I find odd because he has some of the most powerful gifts in the family. His intuition was just like my dad's. I knew his eyes would be rolling, but I called anyway. When I told him about the area that creeped me out and then read the report, which had now been sent out to me, about the Vortex and the Indians, he gave as supportive of a wow as I knew he could. As I mentioned, I never told anyone my feeling about that area and when he was trying to figure out where on the property it was, he mentioned he never got any bad feelings back there himself. He says I used to hunt back there all the time and I never felt anything. Was it by the cement slab? He asked. What cement slab? I asked. He says it's huge. How could you never have seen it? It's not on our property, but it's right on the border of the property. I said I never went back there. The area creeped me out, so I stayed away. What else is back there? I asked. It's a slab foundation for a house. No house, just the cement slab. Then I read him the part of the report about the spirit who moved in after his house was demolished. That slab must have been gone for years when the neighbors erected their new barn for their animals. I didn't need to see his face to know he was no longer rolling his eyes. I spoke to the realtor and he'll be relisting in about 10 days in a new format. I'm told that some minor residuals may linger on for a week or so, but in 10 days, it should all be clear. But I have to say, how can you not tell the new owners that there are five young Indians who gave their lives to protect everyone and their bones are in the backyard and that area should still be respected? Zach will be back in the house on Friday. I wonder if he'll still need the dogs to go to the back part of the house. So
1: I'll start off by saying that I'm Native American, so for me, a lot of weird and creepy crap happens. But I'm going to start with the first one I remember. It was summer. I was about six or seven years old, and I was running around with no shoes on in my grandma's yard. As I was playing in the yard, I hear my grandma call my name from the woods. I stood there confused. I didn't see my grandma go into the woods, but she called again. Gomet, Gomet! I call back to her. Granny, where are you? She responds with my name again. I respond back. Hold on, let me put my shoes on. I run inside to go get my shoes on. As the door opens and I sit down to put them on, My grandma walks out of the kitchen and tells me my lunch is almost ready. I stare at her, and she notices, asking me, what's wrong? I ask her if she was just in the woods. She shakes her head, and I tell her that she just called me from the woods. My grandma walks to the door as I say that, closes it, locks it. She says to me, by far the creepiest thing for a kid to hear. If someone calls your name from the woods, never go to it. I said okay, and she says, don't go back outside. I don't know what I heard that day, but since that day, I've heard my mom's voice, dads, brothers, sisters, grandpas, aunts, uncles, friends. Even my freaking unborn cousin at the time. I don't know what does that, but I'm scared and I'll never go into the woods looking for it.
0: So this happened in 2020. I'm a female and at the time I was 19. I lived in a flat above a senior residence Since I work for that company, I could live there fairly cheap because the company just dealt with the costs for me. I sometimes did a night shift as well. In the night shift, you basically look in each apartment from the seniors to check in if they're all there, since almost all of them have Alzheimer's. After that, you're supposed to clean the kitchen, the living room, and the library, and then do the dishes as well as wash the clothes. Every now and then, a bell would go off because one of the residents would need help with something, so you'll have to go there and help them. There was already a break-in a few years prior to that, so the company installed cameras around the house. All people that live and work there know about the cameras. One day, I had an uneasy feeling and just couldn't bring myself to sleep in the flat, so I left to sleep at my parents' house. When I came home the next day because I forgot something, I saw that the police were there. They were questioning the night shift, and then they looked at me, asked for my ID, and then asked what I was doing there. I explained that I live above the residence and forgot something that I need for work. They proceeded to ask me if I was at home last night, to which I said no, I wasn't. I finally had the guts to ask... What was going on, and then I was told that someone had broken in that night. After that, I asked if they needed the camera footage and their faces lit up, and they said yes. I found it weird how they got so excited, but I'm not one to judge. They probably hoped that it would make it easier. I then called my boss, and she came with a laptop about 15 minutes later. We all looked through the footage together. It was creepy to see how two people carefully walked into the garden. One of them looked through a window and you can see him closely watching the night shift. The other took a different route and walked around the house, peeking into an apartment of a resident while they were sleeping. He then walked a bit further around the house and stood under the window of the library. We could see then how the night shift went into the basement to wash the clothes, As soon as she was down in the basement, the person who was watching her ran to the other and gave a big thumbs up. They then proceeded to pry open the window. One of them jumped in and looked around confused. Now here's why. A few years prior, when the first break-in happened, that was the room where the medicine was kept. After that, we relocated that into a safer room. They probably just wanted the medicine since a few of the residents have strong painkillers and those are hard to get. They probably played part in the first break-in and hoped that the medicine would still be there, they got confused when the room looked completely different now. They ended up stealing nothing and just running away again. As far as I know, they were caught about two weeks later. But it makes me wonder, what would have happened if I was home that night? Because this happened at a time where I always go outside to take a little walk through the garden. I have insomnia, and this tends to help. Would I have met them? And if so, what would they have done?
1: Let me start this out by saying I'm a pretty average guy, with no history of mental health issues and no inkling of a doubt about what I'm hearing. Every other night for the past year, around 11 p.m. to 3 a.m., When I go downstairs for a snack, I hear this disturbing noise. I cannot remember when it started. I just remember the feeling I felt when I first heard it. I'll sit down at my dining room table and hear a familiar sound to a cow dying, an ominous low-pitched scream. It sounds like it's coming from above me, which is odd because... My family is all asleep at this point. I've checked to see if it could be something with my pipes, my appliances, my house shifting. A family member's really demented snoring. No luck. I wish it was one of those things, but I've got no reasonable explanation. I've tried to catch the sound on camera for the past couple of weeks. But every time I hear it, the video doesn't pick it up. I hold my phone as close to the sound as can be, to no avail. It seems like the sound is something only I can hear. When I start to hear it, it goes on randomly for as long as I'm downstairs, and only when I'm downstairs. I've tried literally everything to get it to happen when I have a friend over, or when my family is over, but it just doesn't happen. The only thing that seems to react to it is my beagle. My beagle will stand downstairs and growl at it while looking at the ceiling. My dog has taken to waking up in the middle of the night and howling. This sounds average for a beagle, but my dog is very stoic and rarely barks. Now, she'll growl at the door while I'm trying to sleep. House Haunted Beagle coincidence. I'm genuinely going nuts. I don't know. But hopefully the ghost is a chill dude.
0: I've been suffering from sleep paralysis for a number of years, and it's been fairly tame up until recently. Shortly after my dad's death, who died in early September, it changed and it became far more vivid and terrifying. I'm aware that stress, anxiety, and grief can all be factors in triggering or enhancing the problem. I always know when it's coming. I sleep on my side, and when it starts, a low pressure starts from my shoulder down to my chest. Usually, it would be the odd moving shadow or a loud bang, or a whispering kind of voice would follow that's scary but not terrifying and I kind of got used to it after a while. Recently, it's gotten really bad. The first time it changed, I'm lying on my side looking out across my room, and the normal pressure that happens on the side starts to happen. I glance over to the center of the room, and there's something crouched there. As I try to make out any distinctive features, it bolts, and then it dives under my bed. All I know is it moved on all fours, and it looked humanoid one time a withered hand appeared and violently tried to grasp at my face another time i saw nothing but heard a low female whispery voice behind me saying you're not gonna make it and then giggle then came the most recent ones this was about a month ago i got home from a busy day at work and i lied down as i did that same pressure starts to build up I wasn't exactly in the mood for this, I just wanted to rest and not see terrifying stuff so I kind of struggled against it, trying to force myself to stay awake. Big mistake because it just made it a lot worse. I looked up into the center of my room and there it was. It was tall, thin, had shoulder length hair, it was gaunt with blood red skin and its eyes had this weird luminous look to them, like a light as it's slowly going out I could tell it was female by the build of its body but I could be wrong but I did know that this thing was angry it started walking towards me shaking its head while doing so rapidly that it became impossible to tell if it still had two or four eyes and it was screaming in anger at me it sounded like a cat being tortured the dream ended when it reached me the most recent time was this week I had a long busy week. A couple of days ago, I crashed out. I had multiple hands reaching for my face this time and that same female voice appeared at the same time almost in a dismissive, mocking way. I've had many people carve my name in their chest. I have no idea what that means. Trust me, I've tried to look it up. If this isn't my mind trying to just mess with me, then the red creature-like lady was just being cryptic about who she is. If anyone has come across that in any folklore or just in general, I would love to know. I'm pretty sure it's stress-related, but I'd be interested to know if there's anything else close to it. Thank you. Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA. Get a quote today. We made USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com bundle. Restrictions apply.